like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. <laughs> Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of DC Roleplaying, the Hero Points Podcast, a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, with the motivation of thrill of adventure. Along with me, as always, is my usual co-host, Siskoid, with the motivation of responsibility of power. How you doing, buddy? I'm, I'm doing very poorly. <laughs> I'm very sick. <laughs> Are you very feeble, perhaps, or uh, poor? I, is feeble the worst? That I'm feeble? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Zero. Oh, shift zero. <laughs> Climbing up back to feeble. Need a couple column shifts from my friends, Ziscoid friends. Um, <laughs> folks, you may have just heard we've got a couple of voices here with us. Before I introduce them, I just want to mention to you, this is your first time listening to this show. Uh, this is an ongoing podcast. It's not all that often, but when we do release an episode, the purpose of it is to celebrate DC role-playing games. Um, basically, we look at it from a perspective of nostalgia. Not a lot of technical, um, not a lot of game mechanics. But is this intended more for sort of the lapsed gamer, someone who used to play and still has a lot of passion for playing? But now we get to the fun part. Yes, we have guests, and we're having basically a crossover, folks. So let me start off. First, I want to introduce David Gallagher. He is the author of young adult adventure series The Only Living Boy, The Werewolf Western High Moon, and Green Lantern Corps. He's also a former Marvel handbook writer and a self-professed fan of the Marvel superheroes face rip system. And as near as I can tell, he only spells his name with one G. Isn't that supposed to be like the Sledgematic guy, you know, Gallagher? No. No, but thank you. Uh, David Ga- – <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But thank you. No problem. I, I brought a plastic poncho to hold up whenever you spoke, but okay. Anyway, uh, we also have Dr. G, self-styled man of nerdology and podcast host of the Pulp to Pixel podcast, including Dial G for Gamer which is a podcast focused on superhero genre role-playing game. He's also a Marvel facer of zombie to the end. Now, where the crossover aspect comes in is that the Dial G for Gamer podcast did an episode a few months back, let's just say, more than we intended, but they did an episode on the Marvel role-playing game, which was a phenomenal episode. I think it's episode number four. Is that right, Dr. G? Um, actually, no, it's three. Episode three. Right. Episode number three. Go back and listen to episode number three of the Dial G for Gamer podcast. Before you listen to this one, you get a good primer for the uh, Marvel, which is a bit of a lesser role-playing game anyway. And then you come here, where we are going to have... The Great Marvel vs. DC RPG Debate! It's going to be awesome. So, if you want to join us on the interwebs, people, please go over to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com slash hero points. Leave a comment on the show. I imagine, based on what I saw happen on Facebook today, I think you guys have a lot to say. Uh, go out there, leave us a comment, tell us why you like the Marvel system better, or why you like the DC system better, or what's wrong with both of them. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook as the Fire and Water Podcast Network, or on Twitter, which is the at sign FW Podcast. Or you can send us an email if you like the old school system. It's just firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Now, we've developed sort of a framework. 
to have this discussion because really it could just end up us being throwing sticks and omni gadgets at each other. But uh, mm-hmm. we decided if we have some sort of framework to follow through, it might make a little more sense. <laughs> so we're going to start off with our history. So the question we put forward here is what is your history with these games? How did you come to discover them? And how long did you play them for? And more importantly, are you still playing them? Why don't we start with David? Oh, yeah. So uh, I think it's really important to, to think about um, when we talk about these games, just to give a little bit of background. Obviously, with the DC Mayfair game, we're talking specifically about the Hero Points game. And with the Marvel game, we're specifically talking about the Marvel Phase Rip game developed by TSR. Uh, which ran from like 1982 to 1992. Um, I started collecting comics around then. So as a regular thing, following summer camp and heading into eighth grade, you know, I started to read just tons and tons of Marvel comics because my doormate had them. So I like devoured things like from Captain America from 300 to 340s and all the Basema Stern uh, Avengers issues. And on the back of some of those comics, had those ads for the Marvel superhero role-playing game. So for Christmas, I got it that year along with like a subscription to Speedball. Um, so I'm super stoked to, to be able to talk about this game because it was really, in a lot of ways, my primer for the Marvel Universe. In terms of the DC game, you know, my, my first introduction to that became the following year with the Batman RPG, which came out right around the 89 Batman. Uh, and it was really a stripped down version of the Mayfair game, but with all this really robust bat centric elements. And then I fell into the games right after that. Awesome. Dr. G. So apparently I have the uh, parallel earth version of David's story because that's pretty much almost exactly the same. Um, I got into actually superhero gaming in general during that sort of seventh grade, eighth grade summers um i would go to the uh local boys and girls club over the summer break and that's where i actually first played champions and i got so into it that i wanted to play other role-playing games so um i ended up buying like villains and vigilantes and then eventually marvel i got the second edition i played the first edition and then i got the second edition and the second edition i mean i, I basically all of the books are are pretty much falling apart that's how much i played them <laughs> how much I used them and how much they were always opened and cracked spines and everything. So uh, that was it. But then I, I kind of caught the bug and and all I've done now from since then is just buy like superhero role playing games. I mean, I, to the point that if it's a non superhero genre role playing game, I always try to see if there's some way in the rules I could put a superhero into that game. <laughs> like I, awesome. I I I have like tons of games where I'm like. I bet I want to see, could I model a superhero in this mechanics of this game? And most of the times the answer was yes. Yes, I could. (laughs) Siskoi, your history. Uh, Well, we've already discussed uh, my DC heroes origins, obviously on the show, but uh, to to briefly put it, actually I had the Marvel superheroes game first, pretty sure. And we played like one game of it and that was it. Basically I did buy some other products because I was a fan of the comics uh, like the, the, you know, the gamer's handbooks and all that. But, um, otherwise, it's when I finally found a copy of DC Heroes, or actually, I, you know, I bought the Ambush Bug Don't Ask module first. That was my very first purchase. Uh, and from there, the game, uh, and I have an almost complete collection of it. And I, I played DCH over the, like, for many years across various different groups since 1990, probably. So I've had a long history with that game. That's that's why Hero Points 
is mostly about DCH. For me, I got both the Marvel and DC edition, first editions right when they came out. And I played in the Marvel one for a while with my friends. Now, keep in mind, I was about 12 years old at the time, so my adventures were pretty much what you would expect a 12-year-old to have. Uh, we used some of the Marvel man- modules, and then later on I bought the Advanced box set when it came out, but I don't think I ever got a chance to really play it. Now, I got the DC set a year later when I was 13 when it came out, and still had kind of similarly goofy you know, adventures with my friends. But then second edition DC came out in 1989. I was almost out of done with high school, and I got into a really good group. And we played for a couple of years. We had a lot of fun, you know, a lot of goofing around. But at the same time, we treated the campaign development pretty seriously. I mean, we had a lot of subplots building, things like that. And I had a pretty decent collection of the DC Heroes books going. And, and I've continued to buy them, and I'm still buying them as I come across them. And I'm currently in an RPG group right now, and we're playing the RPG system called Prowlers and Paragons. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a very rules-light system, a lot of uh, more discussion and, and um, what do you storytelling type stuff. Now, we consider playing Icons. I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the Icon system, but the Icon system harkens back quite a bit to the Marvel system, uh, this system we've been talking about. I actually love the Icon system. I think it's fantastic, and it's it's really friendly and, and a good successor to uh, the Marvel and DC stuff. I have icons as well. I, I, I've, I haven't had a chance to play it, but it's in my part of my problem of buying role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> that I, 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 I don't want to always call it a problem, but it, it might be a bit of a problem. <laughs> but okay, yeah, yeah. I, I have that. That's a great <laughs> question to ask. So uh, ah. do you guys like – I've, I've had a problem buying RPG books for years. I know Siskoid does too. I mean Siskoid builds new bookshelves every year just for new RPG books. Oh, man. I, I, I've moved to I've moved to PDFs. I, I'm not buying physical books anymore. Are you guys yeah, so buying buy. PDFs? Or are you buying uh, hardcover still? It depends on the book. So you know, like I have for Christmas a couple years ago, my family got me the um, the box set because mine totally wore out. The box set of the old Marvel RPG set from oh, Advanced wow. System. So uh, and I've been playing it, God, since uh, two, from 2011 now. So like literally create a new gaming group the last couple of years and have been playing that game. Uh, I think I have 26 Palladium books in my uh, tons of old champion books. Those Palladium books aren't light either. So I've got like 26 <laughs> no, Palladium no. books, um, 26 Palladium books, like a, a shelf full of the Marvel stuff, some DC stuff, uh, old champions accessories, um, some White Wolf books. Um, so while my gaming addiction has definitely slowed uh, over the years, uh, I still go to it all the time. Here in New York, we have this fantastic RPG shop called uh, Complete Strategist. Um, and yeah, and every time I go in, I, I'm picking like two or three new game systems up. Nice. Tapping that vein. Very nice. Yeah. Dr. G? Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of have a love-hate with PDFs. Uh, I, I like the idea of not having to lug all the books around and also just the ease about getting a game really quickly. I mean, I basically don't have to leave my chair and I can buy a whole new role playing <laughs> game and whenever it strikes my fancy. But I, there's something about like being able to like switch the pages and reference. Um, I'd have to say like the biggest example of that is I've really been in, enjoying like the, the character generation system for the Smallville game, mm. but I just, I, I couldn't jumping around in the PDF because The layout of the game is not my favorite, but, like, jumping around in the PDF I just found was just too laborious compared to – I finally, like, broke down and bought the the hard copy of it, and it was much better. So 
if I want to just kind of own the game, but I'm not really planning to play it, I'm like, I know I just want to own this because, you know, like, I'm Mel Gibson in uh, A Conspiracy Theory, and I have to buy that book every time I see it. <laughs> um, I'll probably just do the PDF. Maybe it's because I just want to see how the system works, but... If I want to ever seriously play it, I'm like, no, I like to have the physical book, you know? Yeah, if it's an adventure, a PDF works for me. If it's a source book, it doesn't work as well. Or a rule book, it doesn't work as well for me. I get that. I, uh, I'm, I'm a PDF guy now, but if I'm actually playing the game, I tend to either print it out or uh, I end up buying a hardcover as well. But for the most part, I buy PDFs now. I think, Cisco, I heard you say you're a PDF guy now, too. Well, it's the same with comics. I, I've gone digital because I just don't have the space anymore, which doesn't mean I don't buy physical copies of things. I do, but, you know, I try to I try to keep it to the, the digital medium, uh, if only to preserve my sanity. <laughs> now, going back to Marvel and DC, I, I remember an old apocryphal story from the 80s about these games. And the rumor was that DC had been developing their game for, like, a long time. And supposedly Marvel got wind of this project, and they threw some together really quickly, which explains the shoddy Marvel game, anyway, uh, and beat DC to the shelves. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to this. In fact, I recall hearing this exact same story about who's who in Marvel Universe, which turns out not to be true. Marvel Universe was clearly first. Uh, and also have heard the same story about Crisis on Infinite Earths and Secret Wars, which I think there may actually be some truth to that one. Have you guys ever heard this story? Uh, according to Jeff Grubb, who's the game designer behind the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, the secret origin of the game actually dates back to the late 70s. He had had something called like the Marvel Comics Project, and it was a uh, very light, rules-light sort of uh, game where they put together you know, RPG elements. And in 1982, when he started working for TSR, he had the opportunity to pitch his pie-in-the-sky dreams of like what he would totally want to do. And the first thing he pitched was this like super dark, really corrosive and abrasive and totally nihilistic cyberpunk game. And then the second thing was like, oh, maybe Marvel, whatever, Marvel. But then I guess a, a, a year or two later, Mayfair had announced publicly that they had had the license to do an RPG for Marvel. And TSR double-checked and found out they, they didn't have the license. So TSR went and got the license, and then Mayfair got the license for DC. That's very interesting. And it, you having that story prepared proves to me that I should never put my notes out there for you guys to read in advance before we ever do a podcast again. It's <laughs> supposed to be a debate, man. It's like, <laughs> don't you watch Perry Mason? You've got to hold on to I... some of those. So let's get this debate going. And the number one thing on our agenda is the rules. Rules are the framework that helps us ensure that we're all playing by the same principles. It's not chaos, people. There are rules to this. And we're comparing Marvel superheroes and uh, DC heroes. Are the rules equally easy to use? Are they clear to the casual player? How fast is the gameplay and the combat? Because combat is a very important part of this, these types of games. Uh, how, how are the stats? Um, we call Marvel uh, system Phaser Rip, and DC is remembered for its AP system. Uh, how, how do you compare these two? How was the experience system? Which system benefited or needed uh, subsequent editions more? Because we did have the Marvel Basic went to Advanced, and the first edition DC Heroes went to second edition. Was that a necessary change? Uh, did it make the games better? And more importantly, did the rules make the game fun? Or do we have quibbles about either of these systems? Uh, let's start with David. You try to sell your, your Namby Pamby Marvel Heroes game. 
<laughs> it's really interesting when we're talking about an amazing, superb, monstrous, unearthly class 5000 game like Mark's <laughs> role playing game and comparing it to the uh, one AP level game of uh, like the pathetic, feeble, poor Mayfair game. I think one of the things we have to remember is the prototype for the Marvel game was the TSR's superlative Indiana Jones game, uh, which uh, really sort of set the groundwork and the foundation for everything that the structure is based on in the Marvel game. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the Marvel game had several years to sort of incubate um, and streamline, and one of the things I really liked about it was that it was really straightforward to casual gaming. So if you were a fan of these players but weren't really into role-playing, you could bring fans of Wolverine or fans of the X-Men or fans of the Fantastic Four into the system really easily and have that be their first exposure to role-playing. So you didn't need to be a role-playing fan who was also a superhero fan. You just you were a superhero fan who was casually using that as your gateway drug into other gaming systems like Dungeons and Dragons or Palladium or Cyberpunk. So uh, I really appreciated that about the, the Marvel system. Uh, the gameplay is really simple. Uh, there's two dice. There's one chart. There's all these awesome adjectives that describe things, whether it's excellent or remarkable or unearthly or monstrous, uh, that give the, the stats kind of life. So they're not just numbers. You're looking at these these awesome, incredible stats that really give the game a little bit more flavor. Oh, and phase rip stands for are the seven initials in each of the character stats. So it's fighting, agility, strength, endurance, reason, intuition, and psyche. Those are the primary statistics. There were uh, four secondary statistics, health, karma, resources, and popularity taken together along with your power sets. At your talents and your contacts gave you sort of what your character looked like on paper and then later on tabletop. So it was really easy to, to get into. So I think it's really known. I mean, I think that the game is really remembered for these, these robust adjectives uh, that added this profound level of quality to the game. And the experience system used uh, basically after you did really cool things and accomplished awesome, powerful feats, you would be awarded karma. Karma was a spendable experience point that you could use to either advance your character or use to influence dice rolls to get a more positive or sometimes negative result. So it became a, a really easy system for people to use. It's super straightforward. I've had people who have never played role-playing games before uh, play those games because they're fans of, you know, Jessica Jones on TV or Luke Cage or they saw the Marvel movies. So it, it's really been um, decades later, long since the game has stopped being published, it's been a really easy for people to get into. Uh, in terms of the DC game, you know, there's a lot to like about the DC rules. There's a lot more nuance in terms of the character statistics, you know, body, spirit, will, Strength, and they all add uh, a different level of nuance than Marvel's game. And I think that there's a lot to be said for the quality on a mathematical, statistical level. People who really like the nitty gritty of role playing and, and the numbers and the mathematics and figuring out statistics, I think really do well. People who are like really into Moneyball and fantasy football. <laughs> Uh, really get into the DC hero game. The problem I always had as a GM with my players 
was everything was in attribute points, which is the, the unit that they use to measure everything. So it's used to measure distance. It's used to measure weight. It's used to measure time and how it's used. Uh, sometimes you find just, at least I found myself as a GM trying to describe, Oh, well, it's, it's 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes to defuse the bomb. Well, players would be like, well, how many APs is that? I'm like, I don't Nine. Yeah, well, thank you. But, <laughs> but it's not as easy. Uh, it's not as instinctive as you have 30 minutes. Um, how many APs in a mile? Ten. ten. See, <laughs> ten. It's ten. So, ten. Yeah. ten APs in a mile. So then yeah. a half mile is five? No, no, a half mile is nine. <laughs> oh, so doubles. Exactly. Yeah, it's, doubles. It's, it's, it's an exponential growth. scale. Yeah. So, but anything that's within that, you could say you have 3.5 APs to defuse the bomb. You'd be like, what is that? 45 minutes? You would not have 3.5. <laughs> no, decimals. but there's, there's no, there's nothing in the middle. Would you round up or would you round down? GM's discretion. How much of an ass are you? Yeah. Well, you know what? Let, let's let you finish your weak ass, uh, uh, attack on DC. Please continue. Continue. I find that it's not easily comprehensible to the casual gamer. Most casual gamers I know just don't understand how uh, AP points translate to everything. Um, but uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to be said for. We can talk about this a little bit later. But there's a lot to be said for the quality of the material in those books. But I think it really falls down on the uh, AP scale. Shag counterpoint. Sure, sure. All right. Um, sorry if I was a little too rude to you there, but it's right there in the name Irredeemable. You knew what you were getting into. Um, <laughs> to, the, to the DC system, the word – we used this in our first episode, but the word that is consistently used talking about the DC system, whether it be in reviews or articles, people write about it, is the word elegant. It comes up all the time. It is an elegant system. All you need are two tables. That's it. Everything, the entire game is based around two tables, the action table and the effect table. It's so easy to do. I hear all these people saying, oh, no, it's complicated. No, that's just people who like Wolverine better than they like Superman. That's what it boils down to. So they've made up their mind that they like the Marvel games better. Now, these APs that you're talking about, um, the double, the doubling is the whole thing. It's a logarithm. Uh, it is a scale based on logarithms. So everything goes up by two. So uh, your, your one AP is, let's just say it's equal to two. The next one would be four and then eight. Anyway, it doubles every time. And the nice thing about this doubling scale is it puts everything from the smallest, tiniest little thing at the bottom end of the scale to a phenomenal cosmic powers, you know, on the same scale. You don't have to all have all these coexisting scales like, oh, I don't know, class X or shift X or whatever the heck you guys call it this week. It gets confusing. Doesn't change. The systems don't change. It doesn't change from week to week. It's class 1000, class 3000, class 5000, shift X, shift Y, shift Z. Oh, that's all just makes perfect sense. Scott, why didn't well, I think of right that? It's right there on one table. Two-table argument. We have only one table, so <laughs> it, we, we've, we've efficiently pulled down from – Oh, no, you don't. You have two table. tables. You have your effects printed right above your other one. So anyway, but uh, uh, anyway, it, it took till – hey, did I did I let you finish your section? Uh, <laughs> it took until <laughs> – it took till second edition for you guys to even get that right, okay? didn't come right the first time. Now, Hartley Holmberg, who was commenting on Facebook, I liked what he said. He said, DC Heroes created a system that could include both Martha Kent, you know, Martha, why'd you say that name, and the pre-crisis Superman, who could, you know, was faster than light, could move planets. Both of them could exist on the same scale because of this AP logarithmic scale system. It's great. Uh, it gave a very wide range, very fast paced. It's also, uh, you talked about, uh, you were giving a neg, you were trying to make it a negative that, you know, time was on an AP scale and distance on an AP scale. That is not a negative, my friend. That is a positive. 
It takes seemingly unrelated things, puts them on the same scale. So when a power does come into play, where time is an issue with powers or distance is an issue, all of it's on the AP scale. You're not sitting there scratching your head going, well, how would that work with that power? I don't really know. It's all right there. It's very rational. No weird randomness and no infinite exceptions. Now, another innovation that DC had was the whole killing combat versus bashing combat. Um, now, I'm going to give credit to my buddy Stephen Marsh here, who worked for Steve Jackson for years. He was talking about this on Facebook today. He was talking about how there's huge penalties for killing combat. You know, DC really discouraged people from doing killing combat. And for the most part, that wasn't something addressed in most superhero systems. Even the Marvel system, you read it, it's basically you, you, the original one, at least, before DC came out and they started copying them, was like, you know, you lose hit points, you start dying. Whereas the DC system was all about not letting you kill someone unless you absolutely chose to, and even then there are huge penalties. Another DC innovation uh, was the reverse initiative system, which is where uh, those who had the highest initiative actually declared last. So people who had the lowest initiative would declare first. So the person who's the fastest in the room kind of got a chance to see what everyone else was doing before they reacted. It sort of explains why Quicksilver knew what everyone's going to do in a room uh, in, in you know days of future past. He knew everyone was going to do because he had the highest initiative. He got to hear what everyone else was going to do first. And you're talking about people, you're talking about people still playing the Marvel I, game. I'd like to point out that you used a Marvel example. Exactly, I did because of, except the obvious DC example of the Flash. Well, I was just trying to the superior. Play. I'm just pointing out the superior. You know, I'm saying that Brian Singer case. probably played the DC game. Is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so DC, you talking about Marvel? People are still playing it. I mean, obviously David Gallagher has an old set that fell apart, so he had to go find an old used one. Um, there's people still playing DC right now. They're still producing the uh, what's called the MEG system now, or it's MEGS, which is Megs uh, Mayfair Exponential Game System. It, it survived. Uh, D, the, the DC license, it became Bloody Heroes. Now it's out there as Megs. People are still, you know, producing volumes of this. You can still get it. Also, the writeup.org website is unbelievable. There's hundreds, I don't know if there's hundreds of thousands, but if not thousands and thousands of entries of characters out there on writeups.org. The community for continual playing of this Meg system is unbelievable. Now, let's talk about Marvel for a second. You know, the one that came out with that hideous yellow box set that was so poor that the second edition had to go back and clean up everything after they read how the DC system worked. I mean, that's kind of how that worked. I, I bought, in, I had the Marvel system, I played the original one, and then when I got the advanced one, I, re, I remember reading the advanced box going, oh, well, they fixed a lot of this stuff, which was nice. I'm glad they did that. But again, it took them reading DC's books to figure out how to do that. Here, here's where we get into really frustrating things. Marvel's combat mechanic, okay? It doesn't take into account the opponent's fighting ability at all. The way it works, when you roll, you, you, you can have an average thug, um, you know, the, the, the guy, the, the burglar, Spider-Man burglar, let's just say, right? He, when he goes to hit somebody, he rolls the same die number. His, his goal is to roll the same die number whether he's trying to hit Spider-Man or Katie Power. There's no accounting for what your opponent does, whereas the DC system, you match your, your fighting ability against your opponent's fighting ability, and you find out what your target number is. That makes a lot more sense. Also, other plot holes. Now, this goes back to the basic system. They found a, a way around it with the advance. But in the basic system, Aunt May could murder the Hulk with a butter knife if she rolled a 100. Your system's broken, man. It's just straight up. And, uh, and also Aunt the, May could do that now. Just throw the butter knife in the Hulk's eye. <laughs> no, he. They gave when him, he's it, Bruce Banner. They gave him some sort of invulnerability power or something like that. So, like, you, you had to... You know this stupid system better than I do. There's like something that keeps you from hurting people. It's, it's, but uh, I will say, I, I did think the names were cute. 
you know, remarkable and un, uh, unearthly and all that stuff. But when me and my friends were playing, we felt like that was limiting because uh, in the basic set, you know, you just went from 20, 30, 40. You didn't have anything in between. Advanced, they kind of let you creep up by numbers. But um, so we actually made up our own in between. So like, you know, you'd have uh, 20 to 30. We'd make up one in the middle and call it you know, 25 and call it fantastic. Or we'd have another one we called Uncanny, or another one we called Spectacular, and my favorite was we had one called Web of. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things, uh, just, to, just to interject, in terms of the fighting system, they actually repaired that across the board uh, in the advanced system, both in terms of uh, automatic actions and in terms of how the fighting actually works on the evading, dodging, charging, escaping, blocking, catching, because there are all these different modifiers that affect how somebody hits you, so... Uh, there are a lot more nuances in terms of how the fighting works and whether or not somebody who has like the taskmaster who has like monstrous fighting could beat a thug. Easy. Well, I, I'm glad you tried to defend that. But, sir, I read your rules this afternoon, and those are all active things someone has to say. If I'm Spider-Man, I have to say I'm going to dodge or I'm going to evade. There's no natural or passive defense that I mean, come on, if if the taskmaster is trying to hit Spider-Man or Mrs. Lion, the dog, it shouldn't be the same role. You know, there should be Spider-Man shouldn't have to say I'm dodging and Miss Lion shouldn't say I'm raising my leg to pee. I mean, they, it should just be a passive thing that happens. <laughs> right. Well, I think every GM likes to know when their character is dodging or evading. But, yeah, so I think that there are a lot more nuances to the fighting. I agree that the original basic system didn't have those sorts of nuances and made fighting a little bit cumbersome. But I don't think you see those in the advanced system. If that helps you sleep at night, that's fine. Rebuttal from Dr. G. So a couple of things I'd want to answer on that. Uh, uh, first off, you know, where you were talking about like the killing combat aspect, um, that's built into the karma system. Like, there is a, a penalty in there that is a narrative penalty, which is largely what the penalty should be for you know, a, a superhero game it, to the character in like loss of karma, which is um, now I, I will grant that there's some uh, there's a couple of exceptions where that's a bit of an issue uh, in the game mechanics, um, especially with characters like, say, Wolverine or the Punisher. Uh, but that is built in the system. Another thing, though, about the adjective based system, and I think you even proved it the point as well, is that. You know, you, you mentioned how you even had a web of as, as a bit of a joke as one of the, the rankings. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things I, I think was really great about the rankings as well. Many of the ranking adjectives are very much also the evocative of those covers mm-hmm. and those title names that if you're playing a role playing game about superheroes, you think about, you think about the uncanny X-Men or the incredible Hulk or the amazing Spider-Man. And so I think in that sense, Built into the mechanic of the game is this narrative um, evocativeness that the AP system lacks because it's it's got far more of a numeric crunch to it. Now, I'm a, a science and math teacher, you know, a specific physics teacher, so I do a lot of math. So crunch and numbers is kind of like where I live. But <laughs> f- so I, and for that reason is one of the reasons I do also love the DC hero system. But when I think about it, the idea of do I need a really need a physics engine simulating engine or do I need a narrative simulating engine if I'm doing a superhero story? Well, it's like I need a narrative engine because if there's one rule of superheroes, it's like you break the the physics engine all the time. That's like the definition of what you do as a superhero is break the physics rules. So I think a, narr- a, a system based around a narrative engine is a better one, um, at least for the genre of of gaming. 
you know, for a different genre of gaming, you know, like if it's giant robots, I'm like, no, no, that's crunch. You want crunch in that type of game. Like, <laughs> you know, I want to know exactly how many points of damage that one arm took, you know, if it's a giant robot game. But in a superhero game, it's, you know, and so back to the idea you were saying about like the Aunt May can beat the Hulk with a butter knife. I submit to you the Spider-Man Fire Lord Gambit. You know, Fire Lord had clearly in previous appearances, you know, a herald of Galactus has shown that he can stand up to things like Jean Grey as the Phoenix, but gets beat the crap out of by Spider-Man in, what was it, Amazing Spider-Man? I want to say, I forgot the issue. Ah, terrible. This is this is how much research I do. Or, or you can just <laughs> um, use the whole Spider-Man versus the X-Men in your own Secret Wars podcast, I'm exactly. just saying. Exactly, and so... And that's the idea. It's like there should be that that built in and and D, an AP system and, and the DC system has it, but they use exploding dice, which really require a lot more, you know, like uh, it's a much thinner sort of probability sliver than just the straight hundred percent uh, curve that they use on the, the Marvel one. So I think that in where it, it there's definitely like. I would agree with that elegance of the AP system being able to encompass all physical sort of measurements you need to make. That's really, I do like that aspect. That doesn't really necessarily capture the, the sort of bombastic uh, nature of, of the sort of superhero genre. And that is evocative of the names, you know, of your fighting styles. I mean, when you have like a feeble ranking in something, you really, you know, it's not just, it's a small number and, Oh boy, I'm gonna to have to roll well. It, it's in its name. You're like, oh man, I am not going to do anything involving that stat because <laughs> it's feeble. It's not that great. Whereas, you know, you have that. So, so I think in some ways, well, and I, you're right. Like the the DC game does get capture Ma Kent to Superman, you know, and pre crisis versions of those two. But because it also has that like swing of silver-haired old lady to, like, serious super god of super gods, there's sort of, like, places where, you know, like, characters get really lost in that fine grain. I mean, all low-level characters or, you know, the street-level characters are, there's not a lot of movement between their stats. But once you start getting out of there, then there's definitely, like, nice big shifts in movements where it's much easier to say, well, he has an amazing strength and he has an incredible strength. Well, the numbers may be different, but it doesn't really matter. The rankings are different, so you know that one person's always going to have this sort of different set of difficulties versus this other one. Or even better, if you're in one of those situations where you don't want to, you don't shouldn't have to roll because failing then really isn't helping the story along at all. And it's better to just say, well, let's just compare the two. Now I guess you can do that with numbers, but it's a little more. Those built-in adjectives help, I think, spice up the the creativity of the gamers. Well, and 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 one of the things that I really like, I think that that helps that in the Marvel rule set are power stunts, which are those mm-hmm. things that allow you to, those sort of imaginative player comes up with this crazy thing that they're using their powers that they can do that that takes them to the next level, whether it's Hulk holding up a mountain in Secret Wars or Iron Fist punching down a helicarrier with his fist. You know, each of these power stunts I think helps leverage that level of the imagination and that I don't think the AP system necessarily captures though, you know, exploiting dice, I think do help in a, in a way. 
Well, they did add the power stunts to Blood of Heroes, so they're, they're eventually... Once again, it's back to that narrative flair. Um, I don't necessarily need to get like that really high, low probability exploding dice to have Spider-Man like you know lift up machinery heavier than he can probably lift while pinned under you know in Doctor Octopus's uh <laughs> of uh, what was it a uh, flooding base that I think really reads better in the Marvel system than it did in the uh, DC system or was much harder to achieve in the DC system. Well, just pushing the limit, isn't it? Yeah, throwing yeah. a hero point on that is what I guess that's yeah. what you're calling exploding dice. So. Trying to trying to belittle our mechanic by uh, just giving it a term, okay? <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like if you roll doubles, you yeah, can you, roll if you, again? If you well, if if you also the hero point, which is where you double your attribute. So let's say you have eight oh, APs right, right. and a power, and now you need to lift that machinery up, you know, off off you. You would you could use your uh, you could use a hero point to double whatever that attribute is and get double of it. And that would explain mm-hmm. why Spider-Man could lift something more than he could, or Hulk could lift a mountain, is because they had a realistic game mechanic. Of stuff. Or, uh, you know, because the Hulk is strongest there is. I mean, duh. <laughs> Here are the real answers. Oh, Cisco's got the real answers. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a superhero game system is worthless to me if it's not capturing the feeling of four-color superhero comics. So where, how do they compare in that sense? And I think DC Heroes actually... The better game in that sense. I, I will give you the colorful names for the, the for the ranks. I will give you the power stunts, which they had long before, and I you know I was always trying to adapt that mechanic into my DC Heroes game. But otherwise, I you know I disagree about the killing combat. I think killing combat or bashing combat is really the real innovation here. Uh, bashing combat made it so that you could you could have superhero fights without necessarily accidentally killing someone. And uh, I, I know there's a penalty for it with the karma system, but it can still happen. And it was like one of my big problems with uh, early superhero gaming was that we always killing people without meaning to, uh, which went against the grain, it went against the superhero ethic. Uh, to me, anyway, well, not today's superhero ethic, but, you know, back in the day. Uh, <laughs> hmm. But the DC Heroes game has a lot more of that comic book flavor. Uh, it's got rules for different tones. It's got uh, mechanics for how to handle subplots. And it was really illuminating as to how to run games that would also have all those personal things and how to run them, not against the player, but with the player. Because uh, in the past, when we tried to, like, home rule it, we had problems with, you know, the, the the GM decides that he wants me to go through some stupid subplot about, I walk into my apartment, my, my girlfriend's dead, that kind of thing. It's like, I invested in that NPC, and now the GM has decided that he's going to run a subplot that I find heinous. The DC Heroes game actually uh, had a, a couple different mechanics for that, for whether you would... Uh, have an idea yourself for a um, for a subplot for your character, which would put you really in the driver's seat, and then the GM would decide how it would conclude by running it, running you through it. And the opposite, if the GM had an idea and he wanted to, you know, he would run a first chapter, so to speak, and then you could just go, no, I don't want this, and it would be abandoned, like it happened in some comics, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that. And you've got a lot more of that, those little, the, you know, omni gadgets and pushing the limit and a lot of these little maneuvers and even just the, the drawbacks and uh, advantages are very, very comic booky. And 
kind of respect that element of the, the comic book world. And, you know, I, I think that Phaser Rip, while a good game, is hampered by being a TSR product. Because it, <laughs> no, because it does have those, you know, Dungeons, they, they Dungeons and such, Dragon roots. Yeah, that, that uh, well, that's what I mean. Oh, one of the things that I will say, a couple of things that you've mentioned uh, actually are in the system. Pushing the limit actually is in the, yeah, yeah. the advanced handbook in terms of like, say you want to run an extra area faster or, or lift something one rank higher. There's actually pushing the rule uh, limits. Uh, where you need to get a red result on the universal chart results chart. And then in terms of subplots, well, they don't have subplot rules the way that DC does, which is awesome, by the way. One of the things that I do like is that, say, for example, you're She-Hulk and you miss your date with uh, Wyatt Wingfoot. Um, there are penalties for that, but uh, there are karma penalties for that. Or say you give to charity, there's karma bonuses for that. So there are nuances in terms of how your characters can react in the social space where their secret identity, for example, uh, has access to resources uh, and opportunities in a way that their main hero might not, or in a way that helps enhance their main hero's identity. And I really like that. And the Omni Gadgets, there's a whole detailed description of how to build gadgets and kit bash and build hardware. So while I think DC has... Do they have Omni Gadgets? Uh, they don't call them omni gadgets, but they do have yeah. uh, they do have rules for how to build those like those sorts on of the fly. Gadgets. Yeah, like right. they have rules for like oh, you know, you need to read Richards your way out of this problem. Really, well, that's quick. not really have... the omni gadget is more or less the it's a gadget that you have which has undefined values. It's Batman's. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the yeah utility belt. Yeah. Or, so he's always got the the exact. He's got the shark repellent. Oh. It's, it's an. It's just an omni gadget, and then you when you hit the the shark, you go, oh well, I just happen to have. Okay. And that's what the omni gadget is, which is a very comic booky thing. I'm not saying there's not an equivalent to none of these things, uh, but I do feel that the DC Heroes game does a better job of doing that, and perhaps my turn off most of the time with phaser rip is that so much of it feels like old school D&D. Um, we're going to talk about the character creation process. There's some of that in there. The, the way there, you know, just, just the layouts with the, the tables with all the weapons and all the vehicles. It feels very D&D. The karma system feels very D&D. Oh, you just stopped a crime. Here's some karma. It's just, it's XP. Whereas the DC Heroes game, it doesn't feel the same way. And hero points are perhaps a little bit more versatile uh, in their use. But but they're very similar s- systems. <coughs> it's just, I don't know. I, I think karma makes sense for Marvel because it's hard luck heroes is, is really their, <laughs> their thing. Mm-hmm. So the idea makes sense. But while playing it, really not my favorite experience system. If but, I can if I can jump in for just a second, I can address the Omni gadget item. Um it sort of sums up the whole discussion, really, as we're going through this. Is the Omni Gadget was a DC innovation, and now if you Google the Marvel role-playing game system, you'll find on several different websites house rules people have devised, which introduced the Omni Gadget to the Marvel rules. So I think what it really is sort of representative of is again DC put out, all right, Marvel put out their yellow box. 
DC put out their first box, and then Marvel's Advanced Edition, which you guys keep praising, a lot of that is stolen from the DC box. Just saying. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go, though. I, I hate to... I, the Omni Gadget is probably one of my favorite DC bits, because... But that gets back to this idea of it, like, the reason I love the Omni Gadget the most of the things that come out of that sort of the DC mechanic is it has the most, like, narrative oomph verse raw number mechanic it's not the number mechanic at all that really matters about the omni gadget it's the fact that you have this thing that allows you to for you know disposable thing that allows you to you know play a get out of jail or you know get out of death trap more likely (laughs) uh thing very quickly and and i think that's great because you know it's exactly the thing you know it's like Iron Man always can like crosswire his suit to make it do a power it normally doesn't have. Uh, you know, right. Reed Richards is, you know, it's like, oh, I found this toaster and and some cell phones. Would you like to see me make a portal to another dimension? You know, it's, <laughs> it's um, he's so irresponsible. <laughs> it's it's yeah. that's there's no other way to put it. I feel like OSHA should be all over. Reed Richards, like, all the time. So so with so. Dr. G praising uh, the DC system, I know it's lo- so- starting to feel lonely over there, David? Um, no, because I feel like we, uh, you know, obviously we have the adjectives in our favor. We also mm-hmm. have the power stunts in our favor. Yeah. So I'm feeling right now uh, we're actually doing pretty good so far. Okay. okay. I think- but I'll end on this. I'll end on okay. this. The idea that was mentioned that um, somehow phaser rip, it was easier to get newbies into it is a fallacy because I, I mean, I'm not saying that one system or the other is better at that. I'm just saying that DC is equally as good because the thing with the abstract system, the, the, your turn off about the, you know, how abstract APs are and whatever, that just makes the game system invisible. That's the elegance that Shag was talking about. The game system is actually invisible to anyone but the game master. I've had immense success getting people into role-playing that have never role-played before, just people that I went to college with who would never be gamers normally and just got an interest in that game, uh, in playing a superhero, and I, I managed with that system to make it so invisible, so numberless to them, that it was just a role-playing experience rather than a... Uh, a role-playing experience, so to speak. So well, it's very much more. It, it felt more narrative, and to, to them. So I, I'm not saying that's not true of Phaser Rip. I'm just saying it's not true that Phaser Rip is somehow easier access. That might speak more to your skills at GMing than well, of any, course I am. Any particular awesome. system. <laughs> Your uh, awesomeness is invalidated your own argument because that doesn't say anything about face rip. It just says about your abilities. Well, if I'm so awesome, <laughs> well, why do I prefer a system rather, you know, why don't you just take my word for it? Hey, awesome, I, being awesome doesn't mean you can't be like wrong or crazy. I disagree. <laughs> Even that guy loses occasionally. I got to say, though, speaking to that, okay, so Siskoid talking about, you know, his experience or whatever, and, and you guys sort of trying to throw shade at us, basically saying that DC is a system for physics majors, which, by the way, Dr. G apparently is. Um, <laughs> DC, though, is, once you get past the game mechanics, once you get past the combat and the APs, there are tons and tons of information in these books on how to be a better game master, how to lay out an adventure, how to engage your players. That I think those sections compared to the sections Marvel included, are superior. And I actually, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that inside those game books that talk about 
how to be a really good storyteller, the Marvel books just neglect. One of my favorite bits, and I use this all the time, is in the Batman RPG, which is sort of a stripped-down version of the DC uh, game. They had had this prose as they're setting up how to be a great GM. They're like, you know, you can trick your players into doing anything. So they went through this elaborate adventure where they created this, you know, all these crimes across Gotham City are being done by the same MO as the Joker. And how do your players respond? And then how do your players respond when it's actually a not the Joker at all, but an alien shapeshifter? And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Um, so I'm reading this when I'm like 13 or 14 going like my mind was blown in terms of the the level of, uh, you know, as a GM, you don't have to you can cheat. You don't have to play by the same rules. It doesn't have to be such a linear, like linear way to tell a story. And I will say that that particular anecdote that they put in the Batman game really changed the way I thought about gaming. And I use it all the time in my games now in terms of like, oh, well, players will see Sabretooth, you know, at one minute. And then they're like, oh, we're fighting Sabretooth. OK, well, we can beat him. You know, like the next turn, Sabretooth shooting at them with supervision. And they're like, wow, what? when did Sabretooth have like crazy x-ray supervision powers so it, it keeps the players on the toes and and i will say that the dc uh mayfair you know rule set or storytelling rules um really provide a great instruction manual for how to be a fantastic storyteller i'll, I'll, do, that's it. Yeah. I'll, I'll do you one better uh, that, that that deceiver idea i straight up stole it uh when i was 12, <laughs> 13 I had Batman fight the Deceiver every freaking week. My my more poor friend Simon, he just every week, no matter who he fought, it was going to turn out to be the Deceiver by the end of the night. Oh, you were that guy. I was. Poor well, Simon. at thirteen, I was. At thirteen, I was. We're talking about characters, so why don't we get into okay? This? Let's into, go into our next section: character selection and character creation. And let's face it: one of the biggest reasons you grab a superhero role playing game is that you want to see your favorite character stats. You want to see how they got statted up. You know, did your groups play with the existing pre existing characters, or did you create your own? Now, we're going to break it down into categories here. So for pre-existing characters, did you feel the role-playing game provided you with enough to play as these heroes? And uh, are they true to the comics? And then for character creation, how simple was it? How simple is the character creation process? What's your experience generating your own characters? What is the process for modeling characters who didn't yet have stats, but you wanted to make them yourselves and bring them into the system? Uh, to turn things around, I'm going to start with Dr. G. What do you got, buddy? All right. Well, um... I think when it came to character selection, I, I felt they were both had just an equally a, a nice quantity of characters. You know, you could play at least two or three major super teams minimum with just the box sets. So you would need extra supplements. And, you know, I think in both cases, the supplement actions for lists of extra characters were pretty, pretty good. It's so from that point of view, I put them on equal footing. I, I didn't, there wasn't one where I was like, oh, they were terrible at this. Um, for character generation though, it's, for me, it's the face rip is the win. I, especially for a new player. Um, I think it takes an experienced player to, to work with a point by system or you have to like get, be bad at it a bunch of times before you kind of get good at it. <laughs> and with the face rip system, you know, you might roll up a bad character, but it's really fast. And so you could really just roll up a new one really quickly if you didn't really like what you wanted. I've also found the the house ruling character generation is a lot easier, even with like a little bit of fiat too. Whereas I, I also, I'm not a big fan of the disadvantage advantage 
balance sheet you have to do when you do point buy, where you have to take a lot of like sometimes a lot of disadvantages. You don't necessarily, you know, you would rather them be narrative hooks rather than like this mechanical thing sitting on your character sheet that basically is an invitation for the GM to be like not great to you, <laughs> you know, or to punish you sometimes, especially in I think like old 80s style gaming where there was a lot of like here as the gm you should be terrible to your players which definitely i don't think see that in dc um but it's kind of that's a mechanic that has a lot of right for abuse i feel but it's also just that that point where you're like i have to take a lot of disadvantages just to balance out to have the character i wanted now in that aspect though i do like the idea that you know you can make the character you want rather than having to roll one up but I don't know. I love the Dial H for Hero aspect of making a Marvel superhero. Um, <laughs> versus, versus the, versus, cause come on. I, some of them were bananas that you would make and you would just be like, I have to be able to change this. And you just look at your GM and be like, can I really please let me change this one stat? It doesn't even have to be terribly big. And you know, it's not like, well, let me get my calculator out. And we'll, we'll stat it up. It's like, no, yeah, just change it. It's pretty easy to do. So. From that point of view for character creation, I would say um, I, D, Marvel's just so superior. I I threw out stacks of Marvel characters that I made so quickly versus like <laughs> a much smaller stack of DC characters that took a long time because there was a lot of going back and forth and referencing and like making sure I did my math right and, and things like that. You know, it's like – I. it's a joke a friend of mine used to have is that, you know, role-playing games are secretly just math textbooks. Uh, you know, tricking you into learning how to do like algebra equations, uh, and you know, and some, and sometimes that's true, and that can be a turnoff for a lot of players. You know, um, I was uh, just kind of like share an anecdote. I was, I have a friend who works. I work in education. She also does, and she's been trying to use a. She's teaching graduate courses, but she's trying to use this role play mechanic in a lesson, and so she'd ask some questions about you know role playing games, and you know all her friends who are gamers came out of the woodwork and it immediately became clear, you know, there's like, you know, if you're not down for like the minutia of unbelievable jargon to the point of being like its own language and, you know, number crunching, then you're just not going to get into a role-playing game as much. Whereas, you know, the number crunching was at the end of the day is like, roll those two dice. What out of a hundred did you get? There you go. And, and you went from there. So, I, yeah, when it comes to, like, character generation um, of the two, while you have a lot more control with DC heroes, it's much faster and, I feel, in some ways, much more fun to do a Marvel character. And uh, what was the last part about that? That was the... Uh, modeling. Modeling. Character modeling. Uh, yeah, I, with Marvel, I would say the character modeling again. I You know, I think the third edition of DC was a lot better at having, like, a benchmark system, or at least a benchmark table mm-hmm. with, like... That was on the stats. inside front cover, right? The inside front cover would have all the, the benchmark. Yeah, but Marvel, I felt, had it, like, from jump, and it made it so much easier. I mean, in that scale, once again, back to the thing, you know, it's like, I don't really have a huge number scale, you know. At the end of the day, the Marvel scale is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 ranks. I mean, if you can fit in a one to ten scale of ten ranks, you know the 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 ranks value is really just another logistic thing. But everything else is pretty easy to figure out, and you know it was nice. I, I it was easy. I always found it was easy to model like non DC and Marvel superheroes into Marvel a little better than it was to 
doing to DC. Now it was more challenging in DC to the point that that was kind of the fun <laughs> of it. Like, can I make the DC system work the way I want it to? So I, from the point of view of being a few pure, like, I just like to see how the system works. I, I enjoyed it, but if I want to make a character and I feel like really quickly and model it, even if it were not even a comic book character, I really like, felt it was a lot. You want to bring in Luke Skywalker in, for instance? Oh yeah, no, that I could. I just thinking off the top of my head, I could already get a pretty clear idea of you know what I would give him as his stats exactly. Whereas I'd really have to kind of like do a lot more comparisons or go through a lot more material to kind of figure that out with I feel with the DC system. So All right. that's where I think I would go with that. Fair enough, Mr. Siskoid. When he walk us through this. Yeah, the phaser rip character generation system is just the silliest thing. So I, I, I agree that there's a, it can be fun to just roll up some random character and try to make it work. How do these powers work together? What, with that origin, with that, you know, but that's not something a, a rookie would be likely to, to have fun with. It just, I, to me, my, the problem I had with the phaser rip system was that let's all roll up some characters and there would be massive imbalance. I'd be running Thor and you'd be running, I, I don't know, name some Mort. Forbushman. See, so it was possible to, to get a uh, very, very, very uh, wide gap between the characters. It was not balanced. Whereas a point-by system, you know it's going to have some sort of balance because all the characters are built on the same points. Of course, my GMing style is that I guide the player through character generation, and uh, very often when the people are not uh, necessarily gamers, I will basically describe your superhero, and then we will model it. We will create it out of these rules, which are generally enough to create any kind of hero. And, you know, you, bo both systems basically have everything you need, especially if you've got the Ultimate Powers book, which we'll get to eventually over at Phaser Rip. I, I think DC Heroes, again, has the advantage for me because it doesn't have that... That's silly. I mean, it's superheroes. You have a hero in your mind. You want to create that hero. You don't want to roll up some random Frankenstein's monster and then have to, you know, play that. I, I think people want to, I, they're interested by a specific power set. They're interested by, you know, they want to be like a certain hero that they already like. And putting that control in the player's hands is key to a... Because half of the game, or 80% of the game, is the character generation process. People will make characters and never play with them, just to make characters. It's part of the fun. Or the sickness. Uh, so if you can't make the characters you want, then what's the point? Uh, so that whole thing, when, when I first got the Marvel Super Heroes game, and it was a... It had that random rolling thing. Obviously, I could pick and choose and create my own hero from the rules uh, without going through the rolls. But then there, there's nothing to make it necessarily balanced. It's it's not you know hardwired into the game. So for me, the character creation I give to DC Heroes. Pre-existing as far as stats go, I think I can only compare the advanced set with the second edition DC Heroes game because those are the ones I have. And in second edition, the core box has tons more characters from every era and every style and a lot of, a lot of teams. Uh, so if you wanted to play even with uh, Infinity Inc., why would you? But still, it's, it's there. <laughs> but it's a good team. It's a good, you know, standard team for, for players or, you know, your, your team should probably look like Infinity Inc. or look like the Teen Titans or look like the Outsiders. 
I can't believe I said that, but I was you know, kind of shocked myself actually. <laughs> no, but you know, those random assortments of characters is basically what you're going to get. Uh, so looking at a team, you know, as, oh, well, that team works. We could, I, I could be the metamorpho. I could be the halo. That, that statement was never uttered, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I choked on it. Uh, so, so as far as pre-existing, I think you had a lot more in the core book. Of, or the core box of uh, second edition DCH. But as far as presentation goes, when I look at how the, the characters are, are described, Phaser Rib doesn't just have a block of stats, which DC heroes often, very often looks like. There, there is like an origin and a story at, at the end, but you look at the block of powers and it's just stats. Just a block of stats that you sort of have to interpret. Whereas Marvel, I, I will give it that, especially like if you look at the gamers' handbooks, which are like the, the best example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in the core set, uh, each power is described, so you've got a lot of flavor right there. You know what the hero can do or the villain can do because it's it's actually described. It's not just this effect which you sort of have the need to to have read the comics to know how the effect actually manifests. In the Marvel game, they tell you. And there's a lot more about personality and how to, even in the core set. So as far as pre-existing, I think you get more and more variety with DC, but you do get a better presentation with Marvel. And modeling is what? Is making characters, uh, porting characters over? Yeah, basically, Uh, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I have reams and reams of... I think I went through probably more than one gamer's handbook from the Marvel game and turned them into DCH stats. <laughs> I had my own site, which gave DC stats for my whole collection of comics when I got through, I got through action comics anyways. You know, so modeling with DC for me was always easy because it's, you know, the rules are a little straighter and I, I think it was easier to model. But at the same time, it's just, I, and it's not something I ever tried with phaser rip. So I'm not, uh, all in all, I give each game its due, I think. Very Switzerland there, Cisco. <laughs> uh, what, what do you got there, Dr. G? I, I had one thing about the, the random character generation and for sure you're rolling randomly. So like you may end up with a garbage character and that, you know, and there's that problem of, you know, if you get a swing between your players of what they are, but I think in the randomness, if you've, you know, sometimes you just have to tweak the characters and you, you kind of massage it or, you know, you, you get rid of that one weird power that doesn't seem to make sense with the three others you rolled up and, you know, just give a boost to something else, which is in the in the rules. There is rules for altering the characters from the raw numbers you roll. But one of the things I actually liked about that is that in some ways for the care for the player gets to simulate the secret origins moment of the superhero. Think about it. It's like, yes, the characters are designed from a publishing point of view around like you know, a single power or a single theme, you know, Daredevil has, he's blind, but he has like all his heightened senses. So there's definitely that build in, in there that you had, they had to pre-think ahead of time. But if you're kind of think about being in the world of where, oh boy, this is the week that I ran into radiation and now I have superpowers or I got bitten by this animal that has been genetically modified and irradiated, I get superpowers or, you know, and we're not sure what those superpowers were supposed to be because they should be random or you're a mutant, which, you know, Another big thing, and I loved the idea of, like, especially with mutant characters, it's like, I just rolled up a very random set of powers. Well, that makes sense, because, I mean, if you're a mutant power character, you know, while they were always, they had a lot of, like, plot-driven reasons for why they had the mutant powers they did, in in sort of, in-world, it should have, it's a lot more, like, this is just randomly what they got. 
Well, when you feel that, that also like kind of with a little practice or a little encouragement, like that can like really stimulate some creative thinking on the the end of the player. Just a great example. If you think, oh, my character's got a prehensile tail and he can camouflage uh, into the shadows and he teleports. Well, that's Nightcrawler. Like, so you can take all of these really weird powers Yep. And put them together and come up with something really inventive. So that's just to your point, Dr. G. And actually, it's your turn, David. So um, why don't you keep it, keep it going? In terms of pre-existing characters, I, I certainly give the edge to DC in terms of uh, what was in the box. So the, we're going to talk about supplements, I think, in a little bit. But out of the box, I think that um, Marvel had the edge in terms of presentation because I really liked – there was something about the way that those DC – were they using that, that flexograph kind of weird print thing that they did where the they never looked like there was a hard black line in their character sheets? And that was always challenging a little bit from a presentation standpoint. But um, I liked – that we can talk more about this later, but I like that Marvel had the edge in terms of including licensed characters. So you'd get stats for Fu Manchu and Rom and Solar Man and Godzilla. Uh, and that was all super cool. I was like, whoa. Um, but what I really appreciated was out of the box, at least the DC included stats for Sandman, Death, The Watchman, Black Orchid. So there was a range in terms of the characters that you could play right out of the box. I think Marvel's random uh, character generator was a little nuts, but I think that there are, uh, even if you read the advanced set, there are opportunities to interpret your dice rolls in terms of like tarot card readings. And some of the examples they gave of how they make, you know what I mean? Like, oh, how oh no, I absolutely. Make this, how yeah, do I, I make this work? Yeah, you so, have 15 disparate powers. What, what do I do with this? <laughs> right. And so, you know, it, it, you know, when you're rolling up a character, they give you the option, at least in advanced set, they give you an option. Uh, of altered human, high tech hero, alien, mutant, or um, high tech hero, robot, or alien. And, the, and then obviously you have more ranges in terms of class and diversity when you get into the Ultimate Powers book. But just out of the box, you had these five basic character types, um, and each one had you know your your ability to oh I ran rolled feeble for health, but also the opportunity there was range within each set of of how disparate your powers could be nothing when you started out could start more than monstrous nothing could go below feeble at least starting out and i liked that ability and and like i said the marvel advanced player handbook gives you three different examples of how you can create uh characters from different stats so they have like a altered human character they create and they walk you through called commander salamander Another one called Lodestone, who's a mutant who has radio magnetic powers. And then they have this high tech hero who has he's like, oh, I'm a high tech hero and I rolled animal transformation powers. How's that gonna work? And he he became leopard and his suit was like L E O P A R D and he put on the suit and transformed into a like an animatronic leopard. I was like, Whoa, that is so cool. So they were imaginative and fun ways to interpret the dice rolls in a way that I think was a, a really fun and, and super imaginative. And then in terms of modeling, you know, I think the advanced set also walks you through how to model your own characters and provide benchmarks, which I think are great. The example they use is this character Osprey, who's I think only made two appearances in the Marvel universe ever. Uh, starting in Fantastic Four 177. So they provide a lot of really cool benchmarks. So if you want to bring in characters like X- X-23 or Sentry or Jessica Jones, uh, the benchmarks are all there. 
Um, they all correspond wonderfully to the official handbooks of the Marvel Universe, which are still being published because I don't know when the last time we had a who's who from the DC Universe was. Um, uh. But <laughs> but there's a there's a really good opportunity to from Marvel.com to the Marvel mm-hmm. handbooks uh, opportunity to correspond uh, and quantify where these characters are you're bringing in. I think the edge is definitely to Marvel on that side. Uh, in terms of character creation from a hero point side, you know, um, it was the Batman handbook. I think they had a character called Outrider, and I really liked that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was exposed to Agent Orange, you know, like this renegade style, like motorcycle rider, and they're shooting energy blasts, and I ride around Gotham City, like, and I love that style. There was a ruggedness to uh designing those characters in the hero with hero points in the APs. I think that it's easy to get a little lost, at least for me when I was trying to put characters together, because I always feel like I have such few points and I always felt so precious about spending them any one where like one place. <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't know. Well, should I put the, these points into body or should I put them into spirit or will? I don't know. So it's it was really interesting to um to think about how character creation is. I mean, I certainly prefer, I think, out of the box, I, I definitely prefer the Marvel stuff, but I think that there is a, a level of nuance that, I said before, I appreciate the level of nuance in the DC stats. Uh, I think that they're, in terms of like how they quantify different aspects. So I appreciate that. I think that that definitely creates a little bit more deeper characters in terms of an from a narrative standpoint uh, that you don't get in the Marvel one if you're just looking at it as a collection of stats. So I appreciate that. I can see how flaws and merits or whatever they're called in the, the DC game uh, sort of add to this narrative pull that that helps bring the characters further into a story, uh, which is something you don't really get a lot of in the Marvel game. All right, for myself, I think for the pre-existing characters, I, as far as I'm concerned, the systems are pretty much equal. I mean, by the they both did a great job statting up their characters, and you can argue it in minutia, but in general, they, they both did a good job. And by the time you get to the Marvel Guides and the DC Who's Who, you can find pretty much most any character stats that you wanted. Uh, the only real hiccup there was DC had a hiccup between first edition and second edition because the crisis happened. And when that happened, that changed a lot of characters. So a lot of the character stats were updated for second edition. Uh, as far as the character generation, I personally, I know I'm, I'm stepping on the other side of the line here, I loved the Marvel random character generation system. It was so much fun! I mean, it was a great way to create characters really quickly. And, and I think most gamers have had that experience where you get together, you get a new group, you get together on the first night, and you get together to do character generation. And some game systems... DC included, can be so detail-oriented, and sometimes some people might even use the word tedious, that it can absolutely kill the momentum of the night, and the group never gets together again. I know I've had several experiences like that with various game systems. So the Marvel aspect of being a roll-up character really quick works well. For me, what I would do is I would roll up like five characters. And then I'd say, okay, which one do I actually want to play is, is the way it would work. Because that way you finally get to a character that's not you know, bonkers you know, with, with powers and whatever. And I will say the icon system uh, that we were talking about earlier has a character, random character generation system very similar to Marvel's. And uh, I rolled the crap out of that system when I, when I bought the icon system. And I made a bunch of characters just for fun because I thought it was <laughs> so much fun. It was great. And actually some of, that spring, some of those ideas – gave me a, a creative springboard for characters I ended up playing. So, um, And, you know, I just realized from what you just said, yeah. from if you if you made, like, a set of five and decided which one to play, mm-hmm. you just had four NPCs now ready to go. That's true. You could. You could. 
Except, you know, Mr. In- in- invisible stretchy guy with, I don't know, like, you know, telescopic vision. You got to figure out what he's going to do. But anyway, uh, uh, I, th- I think peeping Tom. Oh! <laughs> it's exactly what he's nice. going to do. Nice. Invisible street stretchy guy with telescopic vision. Okay. I, be- I, I, I think I see where that character's going. <laughs> it's a Legion tryout. That's right. <laughs> so, and then only your character actually boy. makes it in. <laughs> Now, stepping away from the random character generation, one thing I did like about DCs was during the character generation, they were scalable. You know, you could start by making a 500-point character, a 1,000-point character, or a 15-point character, and that helped you determine what kind of team you would have or what kind of foes you would fight. And they, that was built into the system, and I thought that was really rather nice. Um, now, as far as when you actually get into playing the game, I almost never played pre-existing characters. I hated playing pre-existing characters. I almost exclusively played characters we created ourselves. And listening to the feedback over the years from people who play both Marvel and DC, this is where I feel it comes down. I feel like the Marvel players more often played the pre-existing characters, and the DC players typically played their own creations. That's been my observation. And what what just kind of fits in there, it just goes to show the DC fans are more creative and more intelligent because they make up their own stuff. Now, Dr. G is wow. so <laughs> wrong, ladies and gentlemen, about advantages and disadvantages. Thank you, David, for stepping in and talking good about it because the advantages and disadvantages were absolutely wonderful in the DC system. They added so much to your character. It made your character a real person rather than just a block of stats. It gave them personality and helped springboard you into creating some interesting uh, backstory, which I, I love that. Uh, and then as far as modeling goes, I never really did much modeling. However, I have to admit, what, I did. With those legs, you should have totally done modeling. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's that. But uh, the only modeling I ever really can recall. So, well, I did do Blue Devil one time because I wanted his stats. But but uh, the only modeling I remember doing on a consistent basis. Remember the TV show V? Yeah, you know, like, yes, yes. I loved V. Like, I had an unhealthy love for V. And <laughs> even though the V comic book was published by DC, I thought the irony of the Marvel system being called Face Rip, because, you know, you would – in V, they <laughs> masks that people rip off. Like, I, I modeled the V characters in Marvel specifically because the, 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 the acronym face rip. I just, I love that. Wow. <laughs> All right. Greetings, listeners. I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I host the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. I and my rogues gallery of co-hosts explore the media multiverse of geek culture with such shows as Welcome to Astro City and Secret Sagas of the Multiverse. Now I am proud to announce the newest addition to the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, Dial G for Gamer, a superhero gaming podcast. Dial G for Gamer will be a semi-monthly show where I and my co-hosts play and review games with a superhero theme. From tabletop games to video games, we will take on the genre one superhero game at a time. So if you love superheroes and gaming as much as we do, then tune in to Dial G for Gamer. You can find episodes of Dial G for Gamer with the other Pulp to Pixel podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can follow us on Facebook at The Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Pulp to Pixel, where I go under the name Dr. G Nerdologist. And you can find episodes directly at our blog, pulptopixel.blogspot.com.
How many APs long is this podcast now? I, I don't know. <laughs> I get confused. Cisco knows it off the top of his head. Eleven. <laughs> Our next section we call campaign setup. It's basically the stuff you got. <laughs> Maps and, and playing pieces. <laughs> you know. What else did you get besides the rules? Maps and playing pieces uh, that gave you a sense of spatial awareness. Moving your miniatures across a cityscape. Uh, that kind of out of the box. Are there maps, character cards, character sheets, uh, other accessories? Uh, are you given everything you need to play in either of these two games? Are, were we GMs or were we players? And do we have any campaign stories to tell? Let's go to let's go to David and uh, you start the ball rolling. Okay. Well, I have a monthly gaming group that I love and adore. We play the Marvel. Su- I just wrapped up a two-year-long campaign. Which is awesome. And, uh, I think that in terms of, you know, the playing pieces we use, you know, the Marvel game comes with maps and it comes up little figure fold up standees and little character cards and th- those are all great. So the, the out of the box, everything we need, like I just bring one box with me whenever I go to my games. I don't use the playing pieces anymore. Uh, the little fold up figures instead. I prefer hero clicks. Except for the guy who plays Mr. Immortal in our campaign, because every time he, we give him like, uh, every time he start a new session, we give him 50 little paper standees, and then every time one dies, we squash it. So. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, so out of the box, I, I felt that the Marvel game had a lot of really tough stuff. I'm, on the DC side, I, I'm sort of at a disadvantage, because I started with the Batman game, which didn't come with cool character cards, and I'd have to keep flipping through various charts and manually copy the character stats um, when my brothers or my friends would want to play. And it made it for a very cumbersome experience. So it didn't really get – so it kind of lost my luster until I got second edition, which from a, a storytelling perspective gave me a lot more information, as I mentioned previously, on how to tell a great story. So I think that um, from an out-of-the-box standpoint, in terms of my exposure – I give the Marvel game the edge, but from a storytelling perspective, I definitely give DC the edge because it taught me so much about what I needed to be a better uh, game master. Shag? All right. Uh, for DC Heroes, I was in a campaign as a player uh, in high school that lasted for about a year or two. It was lots of fun. It was a group. Really, we all played original characters with original adventures, and there's a lot of subplot building, things along those lines. Uh, but what I have to mention is my next DC group, which lasted for 10 years, 10 wow. years, a decade. And in those, I was mainly the game master. Maybe that's why I lasted so long, because I'm awesome. But uh, and but sometimes the other players would take turns. They would they would game master an adventure so I could play as well. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't with the DC Heroes game, so it is a bit of a cheap mentioning here. But it was with the West End Boom. Games uh, DC system. But honestly, the system had nothing to do with it. it. It had absolutely everything to do with the players and how much they were into it and how invested they were and how much we loved the DC universe itself. Uh, in fact, to prove that it wasn't the system, we switched to Mutants and Masterminds uh, during the last year of our, our gaming anyway. We all just loved the DC. Again, the characters, the support structure like the DEO and Star Labs, the fictional geography, the ideas that sparked within us. And uh, the group was crazy creative. Like it, this, In the early days of the Internet, we had we built web pages with lots of stuff on there. We, we had customized miniatures like we – you know, would take miniatures and paint them our own way. We actually had customized action figures. I still have in my office a, an impulse uh, total justice action figure that I got customized as my character Danger Man. And it oh was, wow! 
Yeah, I love it. And we, we used to print fictional newspapers, like a whole front page with different articles and stuff like that, and we'd share it with each other. And we were doing tons of cut scenes, which I realize nowadays is like a common thing in role-playing games. You have them in video games and stuff like that. But back then, you know, it wasn't like a common thing you found in role-playing games where we would read – like you would in a comic book. We're reading a scene that our players don't see. But it adds flavor to the game. So like, you know, a, a scene with the bad guys that they're layer or something like that. And it was amazing players' experiences and memories. It was wonderful. Now, as far as what's inside the box set, you know, David mentioned a couple things. Now, I want to say, to be fair, but the Marvel basic set and the DC Heroes First Edition both had character cards and little tabletop pieces. And DC's cards, to tell you, I think DC's better because they had artwork from Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, Praise be his be name. Him. Praise be his name. I, guys, you were a little slow on that, I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> JLGL, you can't beat that kind of artwork, folks. And now Marvel, in their box, I give you eight character cards. Oh, how generous, eight. Uh, and 25 little cap- tabletop counters that laid flat, whereas DC gave you 30 cards and 39 little tabletop counters. And the DC ones actually had little stands so they could stand up vertically. And even the DC dice were better. You know, they were bigger. They had a, you know, the little... Line in the, in the seven, you know, D, and Marvel gave you the little cheap little ten siders. Anyway, I will have to give Marvel the edge on the maps. I loved the Marvel maps; they were so cool. They were almost like proto Heroclix maps. They were so nice. And uh, now, and also the Marvel Advance set, the character cards in those, those were truly gorgeous. I, I don't know that, that whether that was art from Marvel Universe or what it was, but they were beautiful. Growing up, whenever I wanted to draw my own superheroes, I would always bust out the Marvel Advanced templates and actually trace those. Whether it's for a role-playing game or just for fun, I would use the Marvel role-playing game templates for that. That's awesome. Batman, the Batman game gave you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Portability. Yes, nice true. But board. yeah, but yeah. so you had no tabletop counter. You'd have to lose your parents in Crime Alley. Take a train to Tibet. Train with the League of Assassins in order to earn, like, one character stand or one tabletop gunner. No, well, that's because you picked up a one-off book. I mean, the Batman game was not the game. It was just like – that's like buying Monopoly Jr. and declaring 80 years of Monopoly is crap. It just – that doesn't work. Now, I'm going to put this out there, okay? And we can we can argue this. The first box set as an entire package, head-to-head competition, DC first edition, uh, box set, with the Perez cover versus the Marvel Basic Edition yellow cover. All right. As far as I'm concerned, DC wins hands down. The covers, the artwork throughout the books. DC had separate books for powers. They also had a separate player guide and a GM guide, something that would be common in role playing games in the future. Uh, DC came with a game master screen. The printing quality was nicer in first edition. Uh, they included those campaign pieces like the character cards and the stand up. The entire package was a thing of beauty. Gentlemen, would you agree or disagree with that? Agree. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a group shot cover and the words George Perez get used, I, I think <laughs> I think I think I, I think I, I know what my decision's going to be on that. However, you know, I I would have to say they inverted in their second editions. The DC second edition covers are boring. You know, it's that black box with just Batman and Superman on the cover. Where the the Marvel editions, I thought, especially with that like sort of like Tron field floor. And then the character group shots, I thought, was a much better um, set of book covers. I, I like Jeff Butler's artwork, but, you know, that's, once again, no George Perez. And oh, I'd have to say, also, there's a lot of, like, you know, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, you know, praise be his, praise name. his name. And it's a lot of the style guide art, too, which I thought mm-hmm. was really nice in the DC book. That's It's nice to see. In fact, you know, I, that's, in sometimes, I would say, even the most 
of his work that I'd seen was in a lot of those those sim- simulations and books. So, so yeah, yeah, I think on the art and of that, especially in that first edition for the covers, for covers alone, I would say first edition wins for DC, and then in covers for second edition Marvel, I, I definitely like their covers more on the at least on the main box set. Yeah, that that I, 80s Tron field or that Tron background, yeah, that didn't that didn't age poorly at all. That that looks completely contemporary. Whereas a nice black uh, solid I'm, background. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and it looks pretty freaking awesome. Looks pretty and 80s, I would brother. Have, Compared to a nice classic black, you know, stylish. Anyway, so, please, please. Black never goes out of style. I'll give you that out of the box. In terms of the first round, first edition versus basic, I think your game uh, definitely aged more. Our game is basic, so our game was already a rudimentary game, and your game was (laughs) out of the box. So our game was made for, you know, younger players to really get excited, and yours was made for advanced players and out of the box it's, uh, I mean, it's got a beautiful package. George Perez's artwork is amazing. But no, actually, no. I give you this first round. I believe the advanced Marvel set beats uh, DC Second Edition, but I, I certainly think that yours is a better presentation. I, I sheepishly may have to agree with you on uh, advanced versus Second Edition. Marvel may have the edge on that, but uh, we don't really need to talk about that. <laughs> That's exactly what we're here to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Okay, so if we're talking purely like the art and presentation, I I definitely liked DC and the art and presentation end a lot more. I just, my impression was always they used more art in their presentation. But if we're talking like campaign setup in the sense of like the the Marvel DC world um, as part of like the sort of like the flavor that comes with the game... You know what? I've, I use the DC games as a reference for books I don't own as part of my comic book collection. And I think I use it way more than I used the Marvel game as a reference for like, um, things. Cause I, one of the things both of these games did and, and things like Ohatmu and Who's Who were, they were your comic book collection when you were, didn't have the money to actually own all those issues. <laughs> comic book. I mean, I filled in so much of the backstories of characters from DC supplements and Marvel supplements, but I think DC supplements more. I mean, especially DC supplements in the the GM's guide when they go through the post-crisis history of the DC universe. I mean, that just puts everything into place. And I'm kind of jumping the gun on this, but the magic supplements for um, DC is another one of those great. Because, I mean, it was pretty much a great vertigo wiki before the internet existed so i from when it comes to campaign not just from the sort of like the materials you get for campaigns but the actual like information for campaigns i think dc definitely like hit it out of the park although i will say i love the marvel maps all of the marble maps with the areas and the breakout of, and especially since it's maps of New York, I really love that. <laughs> so that's that's my one thing campaign-wise that I love more than the DC is the maps. And any campaign stories? Oh, um, campaign stories for me, um, you know, I was always the player. I was never the GM, although one of my co-hosts on uh, the Pulp Pistol podcast, who's usually our traditionally our GM, um, he and I actually, when we first, we, we actually used to work together. When we first met and we decided to start gaming, we were coming up with a huge, uh, Marvel campaign that was supposed to be sort of an alternate history. And the basic premise of it was that, um, the heroes from Secret Wars never returned. 
And so what's the earth like after that? And it was, and the funny thing about it was it was supposed to be set around the current, we were planning this early 2000s and it was supposed to be set around this time now. Um, (laughs) And, and, and so, and it was supposed, and part of the big plot was we built this huge timeline from when the heroes disappear in Central Park to the present day of the game. And one of the big plot lines in like the sort of the first season we had planned out was the return of the heroes from Battle World. So um, I thought you'd appreciate that too, Shag, considering our uh, <laughs> Secret Wars podcast. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. It's, it's almost like uh, when he, everyone goes away for Heroes Reborn and you're left behind with the Thunderbolts, that kind of thing. That's neat. I, li- I really like that idea. Yeah. Um, but that's about it, mostly. I mean, for at least the DC game and the Marvel games, uh, as to what I had campaign. I have actually a, a current campaign idea I've been wanting to kind of play out, but it, it's turning more of a digital art project than a role playing game. So. <laughs> Um, I, I basically had an idea of what if all of the the three major Marvel teams failed in their first missions, and it's like a sort of a team rises out of the ashes of of the Avengers, the X Men, and the Fantastic Four. So basically, in their issue ones in the '60s, each of those teams basically didn't succeed <laughs> at their missions or died during it. And and what now? What's the new Marvel universe with? teams that have to be made up of the survivors and other random characters as well so i see so I, that, I, I i see a miniseries called rise of the d-man <laughs> oh my gosh that would be hilarious smelly too as long as he has his cool like a mohawk thing when he had his mohawk i love <laughs> cisco what about you man uh well um i I agree with, I mean, I think there's a consensus about which boxes were the nicest and gave you the most. Uh, I don't disagree with anyone here. Uh, as for campaign stories, well, I, what my favorite thing about the, the are my DC Heroes games through uh, a couple of decades, it's, it's all the comic book flavor that we brought to it. So since the game was published in the 80s, it was the 80s DC Universe, obviously, Whenever we used a uh, an adventure module or whatever, it was written back then with the characters as they were back then. So we used them as they were back then. And so I made the characters basically, like the, the superhero team took off from Legends at the same time as the JLI and uh, Suicide Squad. Each adventure was an issue, and then I, I would write up a little blurb for the... Uh, the fake diamond catalog or whatever. And then um, <laughs> we would even go through the crossovers. So we went through Millennium. We went through uh, Invasion, that kind of thing, just following what was happening in the DC Universe at the time. It, that was really just for me because I think most of my players either weren't comics readers or uh, weren't aware back in the 80s. <laughs> so, uh, But I kept that conceit up anyways. And so we even did an adventure that was essentially... A one half issue, uh, you pull out a wizard magazine. Right. So, right. Yeah, we did stuff like that. So, and we had, uh, you know, fake who's who pages or Marvel Universe pages, depending on the layout we used, you know, for our characters. It's, it's that comic book flavor. And the players would want to actually play outside of gaming sessions. So we would run chats where a lot of the subplot stuff would happen off stage, if you will, in chat boxes. And then when we got to the session, other characters could now react to whatever happened to this guy who had like his own little thing going on in between sessions. And I think that's a lot of what Dr. G was talking about, the like the presentation aspect of is the campaign there in a box and the 
the campaign that is all the subplotting and whatever, all of that advice that is in the DC Heroes game is basically that changed the game. It wasn't just scenarios. It had all of this life that was going on around it, uh, all this investment from the, the players. And, uh, and we, we did play that to the hilt. So, you know, that's one of the reasons this is one of my favorite games is because of all the enjoyment we got out of it, even socially, you know, ju not just around the table, but at random moments. Uh, so that's my campaign story. Well, we're going to move on to the supplements, folks. This is where some real fun gets started here. Now, this is beyond the basic rules. And uh, we're, we're talking about um, not the adventures, because we're going to get to that in a minute. But these are the supplements, those little extras that enhance gameplay. You know, did you save up your lunch money to buy that Titan Source book or the Marvel Gaver Hammer books? And were they full color? Were they black and white? You know, were there maps or detailed layouts of your team's headquarters? Were there unpainted miniatures or write-ups in Dragon Magazine? All these things that helped you be a better player or a better GM. Why don't we, you know, David, it's been a while since we heard from you. Why don't you go first? Well, yeah, so, you know, You know, obviously the Marvel book and, and DC box sets give you everything you needed to play out of the box. But uh, one of the things I really loved about Marvel is uh, every month Dragon Magazine would have the Marvel file, which would include like really awesome, obscure character references like here's stats for Groot. Here's stats for Rocket Raccoon, you know, before they were famous. Um, <laughs> so you'd see like really cool characters that they were going to include in future books. And I loved getting Dragon Magazine from TSR every month because of that. And then every quarter, TSR would release these gigantic full-color gamer handbooks, which were in the style of the Marvel handbooks, which were great. And what I liked about them, obviously, they gave you stats and their history, but they also gave you, like, personality notes, like how to run this character. And I loved that. I thought that those nuances really gave the game a lot of flair. And they were uh, hole-punched. So you get these gigantic 150-page hole-punched three-ring binder books. So I love that format. And Marvel had a line of paintable miniatures and choose-your-own-adventure-style gaming books. There's just a ton of material that really helped shape the way I ran my games. You know, and years later, you know, instead of using paper fold-ups, we'd use hero clicks. And instead of, like, just using the maps, you know, I cut videos for my own specific games out of old Marvel cartoons and create secret Twitter accounts and fake newspapers for all wow. my players to, to use as props. Like, my players in one of my games fought the Sinister 66. So I created a fake Twitter account that had all 60, 66 tweets one that had a profile for each character and pretended the players were hacking into Avengers database with all these character sets. Yeah. So I do all this crazy stuff, but it's largely inspired by the box sets from like X-Men or X-Forces or webs or the Dr. Doom box set that, that Marvel came out with, which was all super supplemental material and fantastic on the DC side of things. You know, I really appreciated the, I grew up on the super friends and Batman and Superman and, the Wonder Woman stuff, but I never really understood sort of the nuances of Gotham or the nuances of Metropolis or the Titans headquarters. So I really appreciated that DC littered their fictional cities and their supplements with all of this extra detail, including history of like characters that like there were four clay faces. Like I love that 
like uh, like Lady Mud or whatever, Lady Clay or whatever. And I love the the background that they gave to all these characters in a way that I think provided something that I didn't have uh, before. And I still use, you know, writing comics now, I still use those DC supplements to help me understand more about DC comics and, and their history post-crisis. And I got to say, folks, by the way, just hats off to David here. If you want to hear more about the incredible campaigns he's run, listen to that Dal G for Gamer uh, episode that they did. It, it, I, I got to say, by the time I turned it off, I wanted to move to New York just so I could play in your role playing <laughs> game. It's, you do some amazingly cool stuff, sir. So very yeah, cool. You and, me, you and me both. I was like super jealous at the end of that episode. Oh, I was wow. like, I need to, I want to role play like that. Well, Cisco, why don't we do you next? For the Marvel uh, superheroes game. I do own, well, one of the items we I sort of mentioned earlier was the Ultimate Powers book, which gave you a lot more a breadth of superpowers, some really weird and wonky ones as well, which were really fun. That was a good book, but, but for one thing, and it goes back to the Dragon Magazine issues, uh, because I collected Dragon Magazine as well, and it's one of the reasons I bought the Marvel Super Heroes game first, is all those Marvel files. Uh, and one Marvel file in particular... <laughs> was uh, a supplement to the Ultimate Powers book because they'd somehow forgotten in the Ultimate Powers book to put the size changing powers. <laughs> oh, so, so it oh, didn't. That's right, yeah. It didn't have. Yeah, it didn't have growth. It didn't have shrinking. It didn't have stretching, increased mass or whatever. So they they all had to put that in the Dragon magazine instead, with much apologies, which was pretty funny. The Ultimate Powers book was you know, just a fun read. Really, what is what it is. And the gamer's handbooks, which I own all of them as well, are an invaluable resource. This is behind the scenes at Fire and Water. <laughs> an invaluable resource for Ohat Muornat. Because, because the girls always want to know what the personality of the character is. They can't tell if his dateability if they don't know what kind of personality he or she has. So how and, do they rate dateability on the AP scale? Uh, you know, it goes through Marvel Universe Deluxe the same way, pretty much, and has a distillation of the personality, which I can use, uh, which, you know, to supplement whatever my thoughts on the character are, which I don't, you know, I don't always know. Angar the Screamer, what's his personality? Screamy. You know? <laughs> so, so those books are, you know, very close by right now because I need them uh, to run that show. But I don't have any of the other, you know, the box sets or the any of the others. As for DC Heroes, well, I have almost everything. Uh, and there, I think the, the success there is, as David said, a lot of world building and a lot of details about the world. I think maybe that Marvel Universe is really our Earth, except with superheroes, especially in the 80s. Today, there might have been, there's, there's more of a, a gap. But in... Um, the DC Earth has always had all these other cities, other countries. It, it's more, it's true that Marvel has other countries as well, but it's still, it's more different than uh, our own Earth. So they can actually go in and create sports teams for all these cities and put them in the, we, we already covered the Atlas of the DC Universe, which was a great book uh, here on the show. And um, I could name others, uh, you know, uh, World at War, uh, that has all the Golden Age heroes in it. So they, they have a like, and the, the magic uh, handbook. There's, of course, there's a Batman, a Green Lantern, a Superman book. But um, but they can actually go into these sub-worlds, almost, these other eras. The Legion, Legion 2096. And in those supplements, they actually put a lot of flavor very often. Some of them are, you know, pretty normal, basic. But uh, like the Legion 2096 one 
ha- is really written with all these text pieces the same way that uh, Giffen did them in the um, uh, Five Years Later Legion. Uh, the Watchmen supplements, you know, have a lot of little written pieces and little, you know, just like the Watchmen books, whatever, at the end of each comic uh, had all these pieces. They do that in the supplements. So even the supplements have a lot of flavor sometimes. I enjoy that a lot. It's it's not just about getting stats or maps. It's also about getting the feel of the particular property. All right. Dr. G. Um, yeah, I'm for this the supplemental materials, um, for the point of view of a purely like what it adds to the the game mechanics of it, I think Ultimate Powers book was the the clear winner. I mean it I remember when I got that, it just opened up like a whole new level of what I could do with the game. And the personality traits in the Marvel supplements for characters, I think, was another really good. They're sort of like, this is how you should play the character. Although, I feel like some of that was baked in in DC with the motivations, um, which were the kind of the the basic kind of D&D alignment system um, that they went for. But when it came to like definitely the idea of like the the shared DC versus the shared Marvel universe, um, I just for and this I think could probably be more that I had I own more DC supplements, I think than um, the Marvel ones was that I just really loved the DC supplements. It, it goes back to once again that idea of you know I have the Titan supplement and after reading through it I, I have like a you know a really good like grasp of Titan's history and. While I got some of that from the Avengers supplement, I just it it didn't feel the same as the DC. Also, I think you know as we mentioned, you know DC had a very strong even in its its advanced box set the uh, the the idea of DC Legacy, you know, which I think for uh, many of us can agree fans of DC of our age group that that's a big deal that idea of like that we saw generations of superheroes and the idea that those are all nice statted out and had their own supplements that really play well you know there was that I still need to get a copy of that World War II supplement for um, the DC because it's just sort of fills in the gaps of the DC universe big map that I get out of the role playing game supplements which you know it's there in the Marvel but I, I just don't feel that they got the idea of building it as a cohesive narrative as well in those supplements. So from the supplement point of views, I definitely liked a lot more of the DC supplements. Um, although I, I definitely, I think my, I still ultimate powers book, you know, just for what it opened up with the character generation. And, you know, having said earlier, how much I love the character generation for, for Marvel, that was just another added bonus end of that too. Um, I did like, though, just like David said, the big, compared to the Who's Who folios, the Marvel, Ohatmu-style Marvel books, those were great, especially with the art. I think the third edition DC had the Who's Who's, but it just didn't have any character art in it, which was really disappointing. It was very, like, just sheets of paper with numbers and and info, but not enough, like, not no decent character pictures or really good personality parts to it, so... If, you know, comparing the two, that's where I come down on it. Um, for me, you know, obviously I feel like DC is stronger. Now, Mayfair, I felt, was really, really good at supporting the players. They actually printed mm-hmm. up this quarterly newsletter and mailed it out to folks on their mailing list. And it had wow. articles, 
Yeah, it had articles about the game, it had yeah. corrections, they had new character write-ups, and of course they had you know listings for upcoming releases. But for example, when when Firestorm, the, that comic did a four-issue Elemental War storyline, Mayfair included a page in their quarterly newsletter with stats for all four Elementals. So you could have those stats as the comic was coming out and really made you feel like you're part of a community by getting this newsletter. Um, uh, just to trip hammer through a couple of really amazing DC supplements, Justice League Sourcebook. I mean, heck, Cisco and I did an entire episode on that recently. Uh, Atlas of the DC Universe has already been mentioned here. I will say, undeniably, the best role-playing sourcebook at that time of any system, hands down. I will brook no argument. Um, the World of War sourcebook has been referenced a few times now. The World War II one's great. Bell Reeve sourcebook, if you're a Suicide Squad fan, that was half sourcebook, half you know, adventure type stuff. It was just great. The magic source book's been referenced a couple times. Uh, the Batman source book, the first edition, I can't really vouch for how good it was, but I want to bring it up just because that's where I learned most of my Batman history. Yes. Uh, that's, that's where I found out <laughs> Matches Malone was. I had no idea, you know, things like that. I, I have it in my hands right now. <laughs> it was really good. And the second edition was a little different, but the first edition is what I had. Now, the Who's Who. All right, let's talk about Who's Who versus, like, the Marvel handbook. Now, the Who's Who, obviously, I love these because they were the perfect companion to the loose leaf Who's Who that DC was publishing at the time. However, Marvel probably had the edge, as we've all said. You know, Marvel was a few years ahead of DC on this one. The Marvel was in full color. It had a picture of the character art. However, you guys mentioned that the Marvel one had, like, a personality bit. Well, the DC had multiple things. It had the personality bit. It had subplots and how to use the character in adventures. So I feel like DC, you know, they really went pretty far to include that stuff on there. Now, they may have been inspired by the Marvel ones, but it was pretty good. And most importantly for me on those Who's Who supplements, on the back, they had a list of every single appearance of those characters. It was basically like the comic book DB, you know, that database online. (laughs) It's like that before it existed. I used that thing to track down every appearance of Aquaman that I could. You guys mentioned Dragon Magazine. No one mentioned the DC was also in Dragon Magazine. I mean, come on, represent. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I never saw those personally because I didn't get Dragon Magazine. I wasn't going to pay that amount of money for one page. But uh, I did get them you know, many years later collected in perhaps a digital format. But Now, uh, as far as Marvel supplements go, I do have to give props to Project Wide Awake. Uh, that was one of the earlier ones, but it was all about the X-Men. I must have read that thing till it fell apart, guys. I loved I was a huge X-Men fan. Great. That was my jam. And I read that thing so many times. I lived inside of that book when I was a hard, diehard Marvel reader. I loved it so much. And I learned so much of my Marvel history there. You know, and, and like that, to me, was a more engaging read than, say, Marvel Universe. Because the Marvel Universe handbook, and I'm going to pick somebody off here, always bothered me. Because it was always like you'd read the history, and rather than giving you sort of a summation of the character, it was always like, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It was, like it, it was almost like summarizing comics, whereas the Project Wide Away gave you a sense for like broad stroke history, which I really loved. Now, miniatures, those have been mentioned. You know, DC had their boxes of unpainted miniatures. Marvel had theirs. You know, in, in the 80s, if you grew up getting miniatures, uh, was a, like little lead miniatures was a huge deal. That was part of role playing. That's what we all did. You know, I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle and Doctor Who miniatures, too. I still buy Doctor Who miniatures when I can find them. Uh, now, let's talk about the Ultimate Powers book for just a second here. Every single Marvel fan I know still talks about this stupid book to this day. And I flipped through it. And, it, you know, it is pretty cool. You guys are right. Uh, I think it's a shame that Marvel needed an additional supplement to get their powers right. I mean, DC got it right from the first box set. But, you know, hey, props to Marvel for that, I guess. Did you ever hear the story of Ultimate Marvel Handbook? No, but you know, I need to take a nap. If so, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so basically, so Jeff Grubb, who, you know, put together the Marvel game, said that uh, <laughs> basically one day inside the TSR office, it came about because, like, I guess the boyfriend of one of the people who worked there was like, 
oh, hey, um, why don't we just make a list of every single thing we possibly get, every power we can possibly think of? One of the managers found out, thought it was a great idea, and that's how the book came out. Wow. That's TSR strategy right there, folks. <laughs> there we go. That's the secret origin of the Ultimate Powers book. That's hilarious. Let's talk about adventures, because we can make characters, but we've got to run them through their uh, a few hoops. So did any of you play with prepackaged adventures? Were they helpful to you? Do you have a particular favorite? Are there ones that you've always wanted to play and, and never have? So how do they compare you know, between these two systems? Dr. G., Let's start with you this time. For, so for DC, I got more of the supplements than I did the adventures themselves. I, in fact, actually have very few. I have uh, the Doom Patrol Moonshot adventure, and I have the um, the Deadly Fusion. And that's one, actually, I've really wanted to play, because I like the idea of like two-player head-to-head gaming, trying that oh, out. Oh, that Batman-Superman one, right? Yeah, the Batman, and they had a uh, they have a Wonder Woman Superman one, which I've been trying to get my hands on too. Um, those are ones I've I've wanted to play from the DTN, but as supplement as adventures go, it was definitely for Marvel. I, I really like the Marvel adventures more. David had mentioned it earlier, but the uh, the Days of Future Past X Men series of adventures are amazingly dark. <laughs> it gets pretty dark in those adventures. But, I mean, really captured that, like, sort of Days of Future Past feel. I mean, nothing beats, though, I feel, Gates of What If. Um, yes! That is, that is probably, just as a sort of to mine for ideas, place, you know, to go for a, a supplement, it's still one of my favorites. And um, and it's an adventure, too. It's got multiple adventures built into it, too. Uh, what else was there? Um, Thunder over Jotunheim, the, the, oh, the single one player. On- yeah, with the little red like decoder that you had to use whenever you reached a different section. So it was very much like a choose your own adventure. That's actually one of my favorites too. I've played that actually more than once. I remember a lot of people playing that one. Yeah, that was popular. I think they did another one too. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think they did another one that had that. But those are some of my favorite like adventure pieces uh, and adventure supplements that came out of that. How about you, Shad? Well, for me, um, you know, sorry, don't mean to disagree with Dr. G. Oh, wait, yes, I do. Uh, DC had adventure modules all over Marvel. I mean, they absolutely did, without a doubt. I, I think DC did a better job laying out the adventure, giving Game Master notes, giving you creative you know, options so you didn't have to ramrod your characters through the module. Uh, personally, I think the DC ones were just laid out mechanically much better with a lot of Game Master stuff. Uh, a couple ones that I absolutely love, you know, we, we've talked about here on the show, Project Prometheus. I love that one. That's a great one, especially if you want to create your own characters. Uh, I think everyone owned, at one point, the JLA Siege module, which had the maps for the JLA satellite in it. I think that's just kind of came standard issue. Personally, I had an element of danger. I never played it. That was the Firestorm module. I never played it, but being a Firestorm fan, that was a great read. I'm, I'm a little bit stealing David's Thunder because in our notes, he went before me, but uh, Watchmen uh, is, it was, I just want to mention that with Watchmen, and David will talk about a little bit more, but uh, it was the only expanded universe for the Watchmen was the Watchmen modules. In fact, the one called Taking Out the Trash was written by Ray Winninger and had an essay co-written by Alan Moore. So, I mean, that module got the stamp of approval from Alan Moore. Expanded Watchmen. Unbelievable, you know? Uh, I know what Cisco is going to mention, so I'll hold off on that one. But uh, And then the DC modules just make great reading. 
if you have a favorite character, you know, seek out any related Mayfair module on those characters and you will not be disappointed. I promise you. They're really, really well written. In fact, there's some Justice League ones that I'm sort of toying with now at Justice League International about possibly doing something with them on, um, on the JLI podcast just because it's like a whole other adventure for the JLI. And I uh, want to mention two, DC, uh, two Marvel ones. Um, we, I, did, I do recall going through the Murder World. Uh, adventure. A friend of mine ran me through that one. I seem to remember that was pretty cool. A lot of fun, you know, arcade, that kind of stuff. That oh, was cool. that's a good one, too. Yeah. And then I owned the Secret Wars 2 module, mainly because at that point I foolishly thought Secret Wars 2 was great, <laughs> as your podcast will unveil and prove me correct, I think. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't remember being that impressed with the module itself, though. That was the sad. I never got a chance to run it either. David? Yeah, so uh, I- I'm hesitant to-, to side with Shag. But I'm a huge fan of the Marvel game, the mechanics, the characters, almost everything about it. But I think the Mayfair uh, DC game really stood out in terms of its adventures. They were often built with a specific team in mind, like the Titans or the Legion, but would often feature villains that those heroes seldom encountered. So in Dream Machine, which is one of my favorites, uh, the Titans are squaring off against the Joker and Darkseid in the super over top dreamscape where they battle albert einstein and they're on the sinking titanic and it's nuts it's just insane um and you know dc had the watchman adventure which brings players it takes the watchman to a whole different level because you're playing characters both before the start of watchman and then after watchman so you're in this phase of really cool like pre-keen act minuteman style uh, Watchmen adventures and then post crazy Osmond Diaz kind of stuff. And again, it's, it's the only Watchmen supplement that Alan Moore had any, any sort of drive or vision to contribute to. So I feel like it's super authentic to his vision, which I really appreciate it. Uh, and for cover art, I mean, like, uh, Marvel would occasionally get John Byrne to do a cover or two. He did Cat's Paw, Gates of What If. Murder World, but man, outstanding covers from George Perez and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. name. So that's a clear point, I think, in DC's favor. Um, I think the Marvel adventures really, really fall down. I'm going to steal Shag's Thunder because the Day of the Octopus (laughs) and the Octodroid is like really bottom of the barrel adventures. Like, it's just really like, ugh. Well, I'll, I'll say, I mean, that one came with the original box set. You had to figure out to shoot the octodroid in the bottom of his foot, and there was no way you were ever going to figure that out. Yeah, it was no, ridiculous. It was, it was crazy. So, obviously, I found most of the pre-generated adventures lacking. Secret Wars module was cool. Gates of What If, again, my favorite. It's basically borrows heavy from uh, this idea of what if Doctor Doom were a hero, and so and the Fantastic Four were never born, and there was a scroll invasion so it's, it's really it's dark it's menacing it's pretty ominous and the days of future past stuff is just oppressive like in a really post-war apocalyptic america level oppressive um so i think that, that to me is where i think the adventures are as for me i've only ever read run and played murder world that's that's the only marvel uh, adventure that I, i've had access to really and i i don't rate it highly or or poorly it's just kind of there 
it's not its fault. It's just mm, whatever. Whereas, of course, I have all of the DC adventures uh, that I could get my hands on. I think I'm only missing one or two. And what I like about the DC ones, aside from everything that's been said already, is how much risk they took on on ideas for adventures. Uh, because yes, there are all those Titans, Outsiders, um, uh, Infinity Inc. type adventures that are for about just about everybody, and then there are the higher profile Justice League ones. Uh, but then there's they've got an adventure for Black Hawk, yeah, called Blitzkrieg. Uh, they've got uh, they've got some funny ones like uh, the one that Shag didn't want to mention there, Don't Ask, with the Ambush Bug module, which breaks the fourth wall, and you get to talk to Ambush Bug because, of course, Ambush Bug talks to the reader, so Ambush Bug knows he's in a role playing game. <laughs> uh, so we're gonna cover that eventually on a show, oh, yeah, of are. course. I mean, they've got some. Uh, solo adventures. They've got those uh, head-to-head adventures. You mentioned uh, Cold Fusion, and then uh, it's War of the Gods for uh, Wonder Woman uh, and Superman. But there's, there's also one for Green Arrow and uh, Black Canary uh, that also does that. Was the first one to do that, uh, where well, each gamer plays game masters against the other person's hero, and you get like the two sections of the book. So they took a lot of chances. Uh, you know, the, the Operation Atlantis, which has, is a Suicide Squad uh, adventure. So, of course, you've got two acts, and in each act, you've got a different team. And, of course, they can die because it's uh, it's a Suicide Squad. So they're playing with all these different ideas, and then the Watchmen ones and the Legion ones. So the, the DC universe is, seems bigger, and the adventures cater to all those different parts of it. So that's... You know, that's one of my takeaways from just looking at the adventures themselves. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, Doc Samson. Who's Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> the girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Well, we've talked about the rules, we've talked about the campaigns, we've talked about the supplements, we've talked about the adventures. Folks, we are down to our parting thoughts, kind of an overall you know, uh, what's your feeling and, and wrapping up. So, David, why don't we start with you? Oh, well, I could talk about these games for hours, and I, I think that I just did. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, outside of, uh, along with Palladium's line of game game books, you know, uh, which I played, like Rifts, TMNT, uh, Robotech, you know, these games, the DC game and the Marvel games, really shaped how I thought of RPGs. And deeply influenced the the kind of writer I am today. Talking with you guys has really sort of created an opportunity for me to revisit the DC game and give it some, you know, give it some some second thoughts. So I'm I'm excited about that, and I'm definitely going to pick up more of these supplements, especially if I uh, do some more writing for DC in the future. Thank you guys so much. We all hope you do. Siskoid, why don't you go ahead and tell us you know, your closing thoughts on the game? The debate hasn't changed my mind, <laughs> but it was unlikely to to do so because I, I think 
whatever game you invested yourself in is the one that's going to be your favorite and you're going to you know uh, dismiss its flaws and and highlight its triumphs and that's true of our side as it is of yours you know it's like being in love it's it's what it is for me the DC Heroes game is still the better one it's still the one I go back to and I've gone back to many times or across decades so of course I'm invested it's my go to if the Marvel game had been the one then you know maybe it it would be different so I think there's room in our hearts for both. Aw, aren't you Aww. sweet, Doctor G? Yeah, I think I'm gonna have I have a very uh, uh, like similar to Siskoid that it's you know I, there's so much I really like of both games, but in the final analysis for me, you know, even though I, it sounded how I, I I sided with the DC game a lot, um, as a as a game to play, I really enjoyed the Marvel game more. Um, and so it's it's kind of my fallback go-to. I think kind of in preparation even for this, you know, this episode itself, I you know I, I went back and I I did a little bit of character generation and kind of played around and I had a lot more I had to like reference and re-remember for the DC game, and and I felt just like the Marvel game it was just you know I didn't really even have to reference much of anything. I just, you know, went right back into the character generation. So of the two, I really feel that this is the Mar- this is one of the things that made me kind of bring it back to Marvel. It was just the easiest to pick up and, and get back into. Um, but, you know, once again, at the same time, too, like the DC game was so pivotal in, you know, in my general superhero and comic book fandom, uh, I think in some ways more than the Marvel game, just because of what it filled in. So it has a lot of value in to this day and still, you know, I'm never going to not want to own or, or own more, you know, supplements of both games and the DC game in particular. But if you were to ask me, what would I play again right now? I would pick the Marvel game over the DC game. If I had to like, if I was like starting a new campaign and wanted to start something. Hey, Dr. G, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and yours can be just as wrong as anyone else's, so that's fine. No problem. <laughs> now, for myself, um, obviously, I, I'm more of a DC guy, it seems like. But yeah, and I, there's an interesting question here to be asked, and I want to credit this to Stephen Marsh. He, he put this on Facebook today. He said, it seems like the games were designed to answer these two questions. For Marvel, it seemed like they were asking the question, how can you play the Marvel heroes in the Marvel Universe? Whereas the DC folks were asking, how can you make your own heroes and stories in the DC universe? And for me, that is how I see the games. I do see people in the Marvel stuff playing the Marvel characters. I mean, David, your own, you know, a recent campaign, they were playing the Marvel characters, pre-existing characters. And maybe that's for ease or whatever, but just for the sake of argument, that's kind of how I feel about it. And kind of listening to what everyone said and, and taking it all in, really what I think I heard was that DC won hands down. So, right. I think we can all agree on that, and I'm not going to give you guys a chance to respond to that. So perfect. Um, that's the beauty of going last. And really, but truthfully, all jokes aside, what it comes down to is it's whatever universe you love, whatever universe you're personally invested in. It comes down to the game master, and it comes down to the players. Those are the three things that are going to matter in any game system. And that Marvel is equally as good at DC when it comes down to that. And as much as I love the DC system more, and I think personally it's structured better, you know what? If you were to sit me down with a, a, a lemon lime uh, slush puppy that I used to drink when I was in middle school and a copy of Project Waterwake, I would probably be happy for many, many, many hours. So that's that's a props to Marvel. So, all right, folks, uh, 
I, this is where the love fest happens. Uh, David, Dr. G, I can't tell you how much I really appreciate you guys being on the show. I mean, Cisco doesn't care that you're here, but for me personally, I, I think it's so awesome to have you guys on the show. David, I've been a big fan of yours all the way back to Zuda, man. Uh, high moon loved it, you know, and, and, and that, and Dr. G, the stuff you're doing on your podcast with uh, the gamer, the gamer podcast and the secret wars podcast, and you've got the Astro city, you've got so many things going on there. It's phenomenal. And then again, that Marvel episode you guys did, it sparked all of this. So that was such a great episode when you guys talked about Marvels. So thank you so much for being here. And David, you mentioned hopefully writing some DC stuff in the future. I hope you write some DC stuff in the future. I hope you write some Marvel stuff in the future. I hope you put out more of uh, your own stuff, you know, the, the only living boy in the future. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, no, thank you for having us on. I, I actually, to kind of add to the love fest, um, I'm podcasting because of coming across the Fire and Water Network. I mean, I'd always... I kind of thought about the idea of it, but then listening to you guys on the Hero Points podcast, which was actually my first Fire and Water show I listened to, um, I was I was, we apologize. Yeah, no, I I I because I, I, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, if these guys can do it, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you know what? I just felt the back of that hand. <laughs> no, it's it's the community that you guys have built as part of, around this the, this network of podcasts that, I mean, it inspired me to do it. And and I, I would have to say Dialogy for Gamer, you know, as much comes from that Hero Points, that game as well. Because I, as I said, I've said a couple of times already is, you know, I love role-playing games, but I, it's really superhero role-playing games, which are my wheelhouse. And if I'm going to spend money on a role-playing game, it's generally going to be either superheroes or some other, like, genre at the moment that i might be really interested in but it always kind of comes back to the genre so so yeah no thanks and you know thanks for supporting all the rest of us on out in the podcast land too for all that all you guys do on that all right guys uh last thing here is where can we find you on the interwebs or one of you bookstores uh david why don't you tell us where we can find you so i'm at david gallagher on twitter i casually maintain a marvel phase rip twitter account handle it's Marvel Phase Rip on Twitter. Um, my series, The Only Living Boy, is available in bookstores and comic shops everywhere. The fourth volume is due out May 2nd. And my studio website is Bottled Lightning with a hyphen in the middle, uh, dot com. And uh, High Moon comes out this October. Oh, that's awesome. And The Only Living Boy gets my full endorsement. I mean, I've raved about it before in the Fire and Water podcast. But, guys, it is so much fun. It, it's it feel, I, And I hope I'm not out of school by saying it, but it feels 80s to me. It feels like it's got this great 80s animation cartoon after school vibe mixed with some Jack Kirby craziness. And it's just so much fun. Absolutely love I call that. it a bridge to Terabithia meets Dundarth a barbarian. <laughs> That is very appropriate. Nice. That's very appropriate. <laughs> that's that's a good elevator pitch for it. I like, <laughs> that. I like that a lot. Doctor G, where can the people at home find you? All right. So, um, well, I lead, leaned in heavy into my branding. So you can find me at the Pulp to Pixel Podcasts uh, website, our main website at pulptopixel.blogspot.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page and Tumblr page. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, often talking about comic books and podcasting uh, at Pulped Pixel, where I go under the handle Dr. G Neurologist. And um, you can email us at pulpedpixel at gmail.com. Beyond just Dial G for Gamer, which is about superhero gaming, we also have, as Shag had mentioned, the uh, Welcome to Astro City, where we discuss 
Kurt Busick and Alex Ross and Brett Anderson's Astro City uh, indexing show style. Um, we also have a Marvel Secret Wars and Beyond, which <laughs> is uh, about covering basically starting with the Marvel, the original Secret Wars mini. And um, we're going to pretty much cover anything that kind of either is connected to it tangentially or carries that name. So a couple of the times Secret Wars has come up back again, we'll be looking at. And uh, finally, we have uh, Secret Sagas of the Multiverse, which is pretty much when we get together and see movies and <laughs> review and discuss them or have a uh, our catch-all sort of uh, grab bag anthology series series awesome and it's some fantastic stuff folks i the that secret wars podcast i said it off air i'll say it one more time when you when you release a new episode of secret wars i drop everything i'm doing and listen to it right then and there and just totally mainline that and it's just pure joy i love it thanks man keep them coming man keep them coming now uh as far as the show itself goes please we need your comments we want your feedback we want to argue with you Go to our website, firewaterpodcast.com slash hero points. You'll see the post for this episode. Leave comments. We want to just tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're right. Tell us why DC is better than Marvel. I would say the flip side, but that would just be a lie. Uh, just share your thoughts. Share the, the argument. We, we want you to be part of the conversation. Firewater Podcast is on Facebook. You can get FW Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Siskoid, uh, where can people find you personally on the interwebs? Personally, they can find me on Siskoid's blog of geekery. Just, uh, you just, just Google Siskoid. I'm the only one, and you'll find every damn project I've ever been involved <laughs> with. And they're all mad. Easy enough. Easy enough. You can find me at Firestorm Fan on Twitter and Facebook as well, or part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So, gentlemen, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. I think we found a lot of positives to say about both game systems. I think we poked some holes in both game systems from a loving perspective. And I think everyone came out with a win. And I think we all get extra karma and hero points at the end of this podcast. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what the, the feedback is. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. I- I'm really a, such a huge fan of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I literally listen to these shows probably two or three times a week. Oh, wow. I'm yeah. assuming none of those are Ryan's, so that's good. Perfect. Thank you. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. He stopped listening to the show an hour ago. He doesn't even know I said it. It's okay. <laughs> an hour. You're being generous. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. There's only one thing left for us to do. It's our sign-off. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's Hold on. Podcast on hold. There's an Alpha Flight module? Yeah, Cat's Paw. Holy mother of God. Okay. Got to write that down. I've got such a sickness for Alpha Flight. I just bought uh, all six of the Toy Biz figures from the 90s, plus the special mail-away from Toy Fair. Then next thing I knew coming in the mail was a a Sasquatch statue bust and a shaman's Mm. statue bust. I'm like, what is happening to me? I can't stop. Um, Oh, man. That is intense. I, I bought those figures when I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And I bought all six of them. I was totally high on, like, laughing guys. <laughs> all six of them. My binder full of all of my character cards from second edition because they could fit in nine pocket loaders, unlike your crappy Marvel ones. Uh, then I've got... <laughs> yeah, oh, what are nine pocket loaders? I don't know what those are. Welcome to Geekhood. Turn in your card. That's don't the don't waste it. Don't waste it all. Okay. Whoops, we I'll haven't started yet. Please, oh, give okay. away your debate strategy to us ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> It's not important what you say. We'll just cut out all your great arguments so that we win at the end. Yeah, we're totally just going to leave it with, like, I love the Rick Butler artwork on the cover. And that's all you're going to have.